Kids Exile on Bad Street. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, and yes, it's time to go back and take another walk on the wild side as we discuss the uh, history of NWA Wild Side here. And we're going to the months of August and September 2001, a pivotal time in the history of the promotion, as we'll talk about during the show. And I'm joined, as always, on the show by the leader of the NWA elite. And by the end of this show, we'll have a new title in NWA Wildside, which we'll talk about. We are joined by the illustrious, the legendary Jeff G. Bailey. Jeff, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And also joined by one of the voices of NWA Wildside and a man who is, like we talked about in the past couple of shows, made a great comeback in independent wrestling in the year 2021 great to see that we are joined by the leader of dragons rejects the reverend dan the dragon wilson dan welcome back hey thank you for having me no no rejects anymore though it's just me and tank well, out there uh there's really the only rejects now are uh not my rejects but like <laughs> john wayne murdoch and akira and Reed Bentley and that group of people. So I'll let them have the title for now, but that's only because me and Tank are lone wolves now. We don't have a stable backing us up anymore. But so glad to be back out there on the circuit. So glad to be here with you tonight talking about NWA Wildside 2001. And before we kick things off, I just got to say, I think everybody ought to be forced to go back and watch their entire body of work. Because that shit is humbling as hell. <laughs> well, you know, first off, you know, the NWA elite is no longer either, but Jeff's always the leader, and you're always leader of the rejects. So no matter what, that's always there. It's, it's, it's ingrained in your history, your legacy. So we'll always be the leader, no matter what, if there's a group or not. So we're going, we'll, we'll, we'll go that way. But yes, I mean, all, all entertainers... You know, should go back and watch their stuff if they never really watched it, never really appreciated. Go back and watch it, you know, a good 10, 15, 20 years after it happens. I mean, yeah, you could be your own worst critic, but you also can maybe enjoy it a little differently than you did when you were in real time doing it, I think. I, I definitely think that, that people should go back and watch their work. Absolutely. It's good. Getting all of the above. It's like you you see the, the good and you're like, oh man, that was really great. And then you see the shit where you're like, oh my God, that was terrible. Or like, what the fuck was I thinking saying that? And we'll get to some of that later too. But uh, it's quite a journey. Like you learn a lot about yourself, like how far you've come. And uh, I, I'm really digging this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's go to... August 4th, 2001, television. So we talked about some of this stuff on the last show as far as the car, but now we have the TV version. Uh, this is a time period where uh, the NWA lead is basically making the matches on television. So we have survival match here. Justice and all those fonts against total destruction. Rusty Rill and Sean Royal. Uh, Sean Royal ripping off Andrew Thomas's cast for the match was something because Andrew had his uh, cast like Bob Wharton Jr. by this point in time. He was wearing it for like a year. Um, Riddle used a full beer can on Justice, brawl at the bell. They have a short brawl for the Cole Brothers shows up. One of them trips up, Sean Royal gets pinned on a sloppy finish. So, total destruction as uh, uh, stipulation this match has to leave town for 30 days. Rusty Riddle calls out Steve Martin, telling him to get his ass in the ring and fight, saying he's a bitch compared to Bill Barron's. That's funny. 
Sean Royal, <laughs> Sean Royal said they would be lurking around the building no matter what. Steve Martin demanded they be kicked out of the building and started swinging the uh, sweet song, Na 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 Hey Hey Goodbye to them. And total destruction responded by destroying the wild side security force. And boy, did they. <laughs> boy, Rodeo and the, and the crew didn't uh, have much of a chance here, Jeff. As, uh, Rusty and Sean were uh, not holding back on some of those shots. No, they beat the shit out of them. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty vicious. I think this is the one we saw it because, I mean, we had a couple security get the shit beat out of them over this two-month period, it seemed like. But um, I think this was one where Lulu goes down and he wants to get color, but he doesn't have a razor blade. <laughs> so he takes a soda can and cuts his head with it so he can come up bloody. And uh, I, I'm 99%. That's a true story. I mean, that really did happen. And I believe this was the, the incident where it happened. Dan, that's fucking dedication to the business right there. Somebody's not even, you know, uh, you know, a part of the talent out there wanting to get involved so bad. They're willing to, to gig themselves with a fucking can to get the juice. God love them. Lulu was a trooper. Uh, he was a, the dude named Larry Lou Allen. I have no idea where the fuck he went since then. He's kind of been in and out with the wrestling in Cornelia over the years, but I, I don't know that he's even there at the moment. But a very loyal security guard, and he would you know, always be itching to get in a fight with an unruly fan <laughs> or to, uh, you know, to flex his security muscles, even though he didn't have that take some damage um and i remember you know there's this kingsport tennessee house show that we did that we may talk about on this episode um that fucking <laughs> a fan went after jeff in the back and lulu <laughs> and big henry hoss are about the only thing that stopped it wasn't it jeff? oh yeah i mean yeah. That, that was in kingsport the fan chased me i mean like i go back up the stairs onto the stage behind the curtain and this guy keeps coming and i mean i grabbed a chair as soon as i got there and i turned and i swung it and i hit that guy as hard as i possibly could with that chair and he kept coming and henry haas is just sitting right there like watching it and i just go god damn Henry, do something! Because this motherfucker's about to get his hands on me. And right about that time, Lulu came tearing through the curtain and just tackled that guy to the ground. Started beating the hell out of him. But yeah, that was as close as I ever got to, to a fan where I was like, oh shit, this person might actually get the better of me. They just shrugged his chair shot off like it wasn't nothing. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have the Kingsport stuff later on. We'll de I definitely want to talk about that show. Absolutely. So yeah, we'll, ha we'll have a little bit on that later. So that's that was an interesting deal there. All right, um, we have another survival match. Dynamite Rob Williams went up against Terry Knight and David Young, the new bad attitude. So uh, if Rob loses in 10 minutes, he has to leave town. So he comes in the ring, a house of fire early on, but the numbers getting caught up to him. He got worked over hard. Williams fought and fought, though, and lasted a 10-minute duration. Thus, he would stay in Wildside, which pissed off Steve Martin and the boys. They whipped up on him some more after the match for good measure until AJ Styles ran them off with a chair. I did like how, in this match, <laughs> like the time calls started 
like right there towards the end. You know, it was like maybe, I think, Dan, you started doing like one minute left or something like that. So it wasn't, you know, in your face that this was going to go to a, a, a 10 minute draw. But, um, yeah, the stipulations on this, the survival match. Um, Jeff, I'll go to you first. Uh, whose idea was to do do this type of gimmick here on this show, the survival matches? I'm going to say Steve, but I'm not 100% sure because we're, we're getting to the end here of, of maybe Steve's stuff. But I think this was Steve. Dan may know more so. Yeah, Dan? It was. These these were Steve's ideas, and they weren't particularly popular um, amongst the crew because, I mean, none of us really love handicap matches. I think they're a fucking lazy uh, plot device, and I, I just generally don't think you're ever going to get a great match out of a handicap match. Sometimes you can tell a good story with it, certainly, if it's utilized sparingly and in the right spot. But a whole show, because, you know, Steve wanted to shake things up, so his idea to shake things this is when he would just randomly get tired of whatever was going on in the booking and because he was the owner would interject himself and say no we're gonna do this now and this was one of those moments so the survival matches were all kind of his ideas as was the abyss and stone mountain team which of course by default turned into a or rather prince justice and um and, and auto schwann's instead of stone mountain yeah so it was just a lot of like slack at stuff, in my opinion, and and this was kind of to the bill, if I'm not mistaken. Was yeah, there's a lot of turnover that's going to be going. I mean, you you well, the start of this show by the start of the, the show we're talking about here in August to September, where we end this show, Wildside looks almost like a totally different promotion. <laughs> it's amazing how t- much change. And, uh, you know, a 30-day time span or 60-day time span here. It's crazy. But that's the that's independent wrestling, though. You know, um, things happen. Uh, workers can be flaky. They can have injuries. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that could go into this. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we'll, um, we'll talk more about that as we go along. All right, next we get Caprice Coleman and Sweet Dreams in the Ring 4 promo where Dreams actually spoke in his normal voice before Blackout showed up, and they're pissed at Dreams for causing him to lose. They attacked him while Caprice stood there until he made the save for his brother, thus cementing his babyface turn. New Jack then ran out, and he attacked Caprice and Dreams, joining with Blackout to work them over. New Jack then cut a promo saying, it's all about the money, he don't give a shit who likes him and who doesn't. Which sounds like a uh, <laughs> shoot to New Jack, doesn't it, Dan? <laughs> yeah, and it certainly was at times. Uh, this is where we started using Jack pretty regularly. I think this is probably this era in 01 was the most consistent time that we had him in regularly. And, you know, he had been babyface, babyface, and uh, he was kind of wanting to help get Blackout over and do some of that heel gangster shit. And again, you know, it was just kind of odd when you see a guy coming off a really popular TV run, but, you know, Jack was going to do whatever the fuck Jack wanted to do. And so uh, it was really interesting to, to see him kind of work and heal here where he was not really working heal or else in the country. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a different vibe here for sure. But, uh, Jeff, what you think about how the Caprice babyface turn went about here? Do you think that it, it could have been better? you think it was done right? What, what is your feelings on that? 
Well, I mean, <clears throat> it always could be better, but I think it really worked in getting Black out over stronger as heels. Caprice got over pretty much immediately as a baby face because he was flashy and could talk and was exciting. And they put the big heat on him with New Jack and the big beat down and stuff. So um, I would say it was definitely satisfactory for sure. Yeah, and, and it's a you know you, you'll get a Bayface promo from Caprice in uh, the latter part of the September. In fact, the, the first TV show of October, where he cuts his first like big Bayface promo, and he, he's singing like Usher and all this other stuff. So yeah, you definitely see that uh, yeah this guy, this guy don't make it as a Bayface. So you know, we all we saw how great he was the heel, but we saw how great he could be as a Bayface too. So absolutely. All right, and then we have another survival match here. AJ Styles against Jason Cross and Adam Jacobs. Cross coming out dressed like 2000 AJ Styles with the uh, visor turned backwards, the track pants, the jacket, and be- demanding me called the role model was awesome. Styles has 15 minutes to win or last the entire time limit, and he would have to leave town. That's your stipulation for this match. Styles did this incredible springboard moonsault while Cross was in between the ropes that popped everyone in the building. Styles followed that up with an amazing springboard plancha from the top rope to deepen the crowd, then went for another one before Bailey tripped him up, allowing the heels to stomp him out for a while. Styles takes punishment from the heels for going to a break, then we come back with Styles having 60 seconds left in the ring. So there's your clip. And he's doing what he can to beat him. Thing is, the heels kept dicking around and allowed Styles to make it to the 15-minute mark. Justice and Steve Martin, when they're showing the back afterwards, and both were pissed that Styles survived. Justice demanded that he tear Styles up. Martin makes the match for Keensport on August 11th in a Tennessee street fight, which made Justice very happy. Yeah, Jeff, I mean, you're out here for this whole thing. This is one of the many awesome performances that AJ Styles has. Just in this show, we're going to have here this time. I mean, he is is on a run here. And, God, he just just looks amazing at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, Dan just uh, shit on the handicap matches, and this is the exception to the rule. (laughs) AJ was the right guy. I mean, because he he could fight Adam and Jason, and, and oh my God, yeah. I mean, like you said, this 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 run of shows, AJ's performances are as as good as they had been to this point, and uh, he's breaking out new stuff. And you know, with Jason being able to match whatever he does, we're we're about to uh, spark something really hot here. Absolutely, and and Jason Cross as the new role model, Dan. I think that you were key, and and you know getting this over on television. It's your disgust at how Jason Cross could do such a thing. How dare he disparage AJ Styles and mock his uh his past here? Uh, what are your thoughts on how Jason did in, in doing this character? This is what launched him in the company. I mean, he'd been there, he'd done some stuff, he'd had some good matches, but getting this feud with AJ with some real meaty story to go along with the great in-ring stuff we knew they were going to do really rounded the whole thing out and made it this kind of must-see thing. Uh, This is also what brings the birth of the phenomenal one, name to AJ that I used that the first time in this feud. I don't know if it's this match or the next match where they were a one-on-one, but that's the first time I introduced 
AJ encounter because Jason had stolen his old nickname. <laughs> so he does not have the role model AJ Styles anymore. So I encounter called him the most phenomenal athlete in professional wrestling, which eventually was shortened to the phenomenal one. It's kind of where all, all of that started. Uh, was all out of this feud, and and it was it made Jason a star. It elevated AJ star. And it was one of the best things we ever did in Wilds. Side um, the promo that Jeff cuts later, talking about how he really when he as far as the original role model that they studied tapes of Jason and all of that stuff to AJ. It's fucking brilliant. I loved it. Yes, absolutely. Um. And, I mean, real quick, before we move on, uh, John Phoenix is not around anymore. What happened to John at this time? Jeff? I don't remember. I think he got married maybe right around this time. Um, I mean, John always had a very good job. He's got some kind of, I don't know what it is, government position or something. I don't know what to call it. He seemed to to have a, a job that he was very happy with. I'm not exactly sure. Okay. All right. No, if he came back full time, really, <laughs> after this, I think he came in for a few runs. Yeah. You know, where he would come in and do something for a few months and leave. But as far as being like a regular guy on every show, this was mostly the end of him. I, I think he does come back in a year or so for a fairly lengthy run. But for, for the most part, it was sporadic appearances after that. Yeah. All right, so also August the 4th, we had TV taping for the next <coughs> two weeks of TV. And now we have Larry Goodman, one of the few Larry Goodman things on this show. as We'll have his report plus uh, other thoughts on this. Anyway, while I ran an excellent TV taping at the NCW Arena on August 4th, great wrestling, great brawling, great angles. It was a night where everything was working. One title switch occurred as TNT defeated the Cole Brothers to become the new Wildside Tag Champions. By all rights, there should be more people in this building, but the promotion would be hard-pressed to find a better group of fans than the one who attended this sh- ones who attended this show. They pop big in all the right places. That's an interesting thing that Larry brings up. Um, we talked about the fans uh, on some of the earlier episodes and how sometimes they could, you know, like I wouldn't say sit on their hands, but they, they weren't reacting the greatest way. Um, at this point in time, from the, you know, in the last show that we did in this show, the the fans in the building are totally on it, and you know, one reason why is as we mentioned in the last show, and we'll talk more about this show too. Uh, the more the South Atlanta boys came in, Norco and all them, they brought an energy in that building that got spread through the building, and uh, yeah, it was infectious and. It definitely heated up these shows, um, Jeff. And wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they definitely sparked that. And I mean, you know, it's funny because you would say, oh, gosh, they were they were kind of dead. And somebody would go, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's 100 degrees in the building because it would be. But here we are in August and those guys have come in. And believe you me, it's 100 degrees in the building and uh, they're still super hot for everything. And I think it just like you said, it's infectious. Um, it, it spreads. And that was a really good thing. Dan, do you think that. And you know, no, no, I remember following the promotion back then thinking, man, why can't there why aren't there more people here? Do you think that 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 was you know a thing a, a thing that the the promotion did that they didn't do enough of selling 
you know, the shows and locally or trying to attract more fans. Do you think that's the reason why there were uh, more fans there? Or what are your thoughts? I think it's a valid reason, certainly. Bill, especially when he was primarily in charge of promoting, would be the first to admit that he's not a great promoter as far as, like, getting big crowds in, but he is great making TV, etc. So it always kind of filled the gaps there. Um, we always did better when we had a promoter that would work in tandem with Bill who would be hands-on with the active promotion. And as you you know, we know Steve was kind of on the outs here. So we know he wasn't doing it. I mean, me and Andrew would go out and pay for the towns and stuff. So, I mean, there is that, but it was like <sighs> that crowd has all, had also seen everything. So there's also this cyclical thing where, okay, the people get really excited about wrestling there for a little while and shit is really good and then it kind of peters out and so this is kind of that rebuilding phase and and things have been in kind of a state of flux so i think it's kind of a combination of all of those things i think it could have been promoted better on a local level certainly uh, i think that uh we were kind of in that transition of getting a new audience in as you mentioned with the south atlanta boys like these weren't the rural north georgia fans and who were just, you know, yay, baby face, boo heel. These were guys who were tape traders. They were on the message boards. And so they were like super excited because they knew how special the, all the different talent coming in that we were bringing in was. Whereas a lot of these people in Georgia just fucking didn't. They didn't give a shit who Jeremy Lopez was or, you know, that he'd been to Japan or any of that. But like Norco and that crew, they knew all about it. So when they came in and got excited about it, other people saw it. And I think over time it helped draw like almost transplant the audience and bring in a whole different type of fan there uh, but, but this was just kind of the beginning of that do you think that Wildside maybe should have tried taping TV more outside of Cornelia <sighs> we tried running shows outside of Cornelia and other than Athens, they were pretty much disastrous <laughs> so yeah. uh, I don't know how successful that would have been at the time but maybe, I mean, you know, if you found the right market, it's certainly a possibility. But uh, we, we didn't, other than, than a couple of towns, we didn't have a great track record with arena shows. Yeah, yeah, that, that is the thing, I guess. All right, so uh, Bill Barron introduced Dan the Dragon Wilson as the best play-by-play man and ring announcer in wrestling. While Mike Sanders gets trained, he's ready now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Bill Barron, Mike Sanders. Uh, lead announcer Steve Praise, I can use the returning Jeremy Borash as the man who gave Vince, Rus- Vince Russo his great ideas, all two of them. And I love this one. The Michael St. John of the New Millennium. <laughs> 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 That's the, the voice of your youth, Dan. Michael St. John here, you know, that uh, Prazak is uh, putting down. <laughs> Nashville's own Michael St. John. Good Lord. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, uh, always throwing these, these these references in. But that was something that we did, you know. I guess it was a takeoff of that ECW. We were definitely like the wrestling fans wrestling. Oh, God. As you notice through all of this, we're commenting on like We're making fun of that John Collins and main event wrestling. Like, the whole big business brown angle that we're about to do yes. with Jeff was like, making fun of that. Yeah, so, I, can't yeah. Wait. I cannot wait to talk about that one as we get through later in the show. But anyway... Alright, so, uh, the new Heavenly Bodies, Vivacious Vito Danucci and Casanova Chris Nelson came to the ring in jeans, boots, and t-shirts that read, Bad Never Looks So Good. 
Vito told the fans since they didn't get it about the robes, the glitz, and the old school wrestling tonight, they were dumbing it down. Vito challenged any team in the back who had these stones to meet the bodies in a bunkhouse brawl match. Vito then addressed uh, Larry Goodman, the homer, concerning things that he wrote about the bodies match at the last taping. Vito invited Larry to watch the bodies kick some wild side asses. Larry thought this was all pretty brilliant, but he makes no claims when it comes to objectivity here. One thing for sure, the Bodies got plenty of heat. <laughs> yeah, there's something when the wrestlers are going after Larry Goodman in their promo in the ring, <laughs> uh, Jeff. But the Bodies, I mean, they were the NWA Tag Champions, uh, you know, kind of a big name in the Florida scene. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a deal with Wildside. And in this area, you're not getting as much as you were the previous year when we had all these guys coming in from all over the place. What's the reasoning for that? Why why have we stopped seeing more of this outside talent in Wildside at this time? Well, I mean, I think, you know, there was probably <clears throat> a lot of those NWA promotions that really weren't much of a promotion. I mean, there was only so many affiliates that actually ran regular shows and had actual champions and somebody that, you know, they would want to send and, and all that stuff that would be worked out through the NWA and whatever some guy would get for money as a champion and stuff like that. And, uh, I mean, the, the bodies were in Florida, so they were a natural thing to come up, you know, and do it. But uh, there really wasn't much of an NWA presence at this point outside of Wildside and Florida and a couple other affiliates that I can think of. And I think that's refreshing, Dan, because now Wildside has enough talent of their own, young talent of their own, ready to break out, ready to seize the moment. And now you're, you, you can lean on your crew alone and not to worry about bringing in all these outside names to help fill the cards up. Yeah, that was always kind of the goal, and I think we'd ultimately achieved it here. Um, but it, it also, when we were bringing in the NWA guys, it was usually like one of the top-level champions. So it, it wasn't just like the Mississippi title being defended for no fucking reason. It was, you know, there were, there was a big – Wildside was really becoming the place to be at this point. We were getting a lot of coverage in PWI. We got coverage in WOW Magazine. The TV was being talked about. Like, all of this perception is reality stuff that we had been trying to build over the last year kind of started uh, becoming a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in the best way. Yep, Absolutely. All right, so we start off with Project Mayhem, White Trash and Tank, over John Dalton and Johnny Psycho in 442. Psycho to no lights, and Dalton used sidewalk slam for Tank took over. Dalton and Tank went down on the double clothesline spot, couldn't hot tag the trash. Finishes a stop sign shot by trash, followed by Tank's emerald erosion on Psycho. They continue to tease the mysterious contents of Tank's blue bag. Good opener. Yes, the mysterious blue bag, Dan, uh... I don't remember if that's ever revealed. Was it was it ever revealed what was inside the blue bag? Oh yeah. It is revealed. Okay. Um there's there's a thing that like we're gonna have to okay. unless Bill got it fixed, we're gonna have to watch the main event of Fright Night on YouTube because the IWTV cuts off before it, but it is the okay. this is all building to the okay. four corners of pain match right. at Fright Night. Yes, we'll talk yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that on the next show. So okay, so the blue bag Everybody, just wait till next next time. You'll find that was in the blue bag. 
All right, so uh, we get some uh, new names here. Sean Alexander over Brad Hunter in 629. Both these guys have improved their looks since their previous ventures in the wild side. This would have made an exceptional four-minute match. It looked like they had laid it out in great detail with a blitz of good spots, some nice chain wrestling. Alexander did a springboard back elbow, knocking Hunter off the apron. Hunter did an inverted DDT, turned into a stunner. Hunter slipped on the ropes, which were a problem all night long, and things started coming apart. Alexander got back on track, countering Hunter's superplex with a blockbuster for a near fall. Did a series of back-and-forth pinning combinations for two counts. Hunter, Hunter used a German with a bridge. Hunter slipped again, going for a springboard crossbody. Alexander used a kryptonite crunch for the finisher. Jeff, these were North Carolina guys, correct? Absolutely, yes. Uh, so, how what's their uh, entry here? They, they had worked here before, though, so I guess they weren't newcomers, so to speak. So... Uh, no, they'd been in before, and, and um, you know, they were both up-and-comers. I mean, they weren't old guys or anything. Um, this match wasn't very good, but... Uh, they made TV, yes. <laughs> yes. I, mean, I, I remember it, because I, I, I forget who it was, but 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 one of the guys had, had, had pissed off one of the boys in the back and throughout the whole match in front of the monitor, like, look at these guys fucking it up. But, you know, just running them down. <laughs> and stuff. I don't remember who it was, but, but somebody was very vocal about how one of those guys had upset them. I do remember that. Yeah, that's the thing you don't want to do in the locker room. <laughs> Especially when you're, you know, an outsider, you know, not a regular, and you go in and you kind of piss off the, the local guys. Uh, not good. Not a good idea at all. So wrestlers don't do that when you go venture out in other, other uh, promotions outside of your comfort zone. Be respectful. All right, next we get Dango Win over Inazuma in six thirty. Picture Silky Boom Boom under a mask doing the Great Muda. And Chencho or not, they thought Silky Zuma made for an entertaining comedy act. Win score with a power slam, standing moonsault. Inazuma took over with a leg lariat. And Zuma pulled out all the martial arts cliches, moonsault to his feet, nailed Wynn with a thrust kick, but Wynn got a foot on the ropes. Wynn broke the dreaded nerve hold and dropped Inazuma's throat on the top rope. Wynn popped the crowd with a springboard axe blow to the floor. Wynn got the panatining a DVD variation. He went for the mask, but Inazuma blinded him with a spray of red mist. Inazuma put a foreign object in the mask for two vicious headbutts. Larry can't remember the last time he saw the loaded mask deal. Here we go, Dan. Uh, Suki Boom Boom. Dusty Dodson. New gimmick here in Azuma. What are your thoughts on uh, this version of uh, Suki Boom Boom? <laughs> One of ten or more gimmicks that <laughs> Silky did. Always thought Silky was a great dude. Always thought he was a great worker. I never thought he was a good fit for what we were doing at this time. And in a number of these, like poor Dango, you know, it was Bill's favorite feud. And it never ended was the feud between Silky Boom Boom and Dango Win. And I often <laughs> wonder what heights Dango might have risen to in the promotion had he not been anchored with the albatross of a fucking five-year-long feud with Silky. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> I got off one of my best lines <laughs> ever about Inazuma in a match later in the show where I called him the pair of the Orient. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was classic. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> Uh, the one thing I always loved about it, Jeff, is that they never hid the fact that this was Silky Boom Boom in any of his little deals. Everyone always knew. 
you know. I, and you know, and I don't think, you know, that Bill ever instructed people to treat it that way. It was just impossible not to treat it that way. I mean, to pretend that it was anything other than what it was would have been insulting to people, even the dumbest people in the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, just just play to the room. That's all you got to do. <laughs> all right. The Lost Boys, Ezra and Gabriel beat Kid Ecstasy and Mr. Delicious, JC North. Ecstasy was wearing Christian-type glasses. He said he was doing open auditions for the G-rated team, and out came Delicious to be his partner. Lost Boys got the first big pop of the night. Now they're both doing the staring-up-at-the-lights gimmick. Great-looking squash match for the Lost Boys. Azrael landed an awesome series of kicks on Delicious. Gabriel took Ecstasy's head off with a super kick. Ecstasy did a rolling dive out, landing gut-first on Azrael's knee. Lost Boys did a double-back suplex, flipping Ecstasy over into a face-first landing. Great move. Gabriel hit on his elevated splash. Finish was a missile drop kick by Gabriel, followed by a top rope that dropped by Azrael on Delicious. XC said after the match, Delicious was not, so not cool. <laughs> well, he knows uh, he knows JC North well, doesn't he? <laughs> but, yeah, um, Lost Boys, and we'll definitely be talking about them more as the show goes on with their TNT series. Yeah, Azra and Gabriel, they just, you know, formed as a team a couple months earlier, and it's really fun watching guys like this as we're doing this rewatch and everything. The guys that were just put together and then just had this great chemistry show up immediately, and these two guys had it, Jeff. I mean, God bless them. I mean, you know, Mark for Michaels, Mark E. Mark, all that stuff, what he went through. All, you know, f- for the first year or two of Wild Side, and to see him in this role, and of course, um, you know, just the forming the team all together, it's really fun to watch this happen. It really is an amazing payoff because you know this this starts with the Jim Mitchell thing, and you you know they they do the thing with the Coles, and they're just kind of building, and really by this point with really like their first squash match, you could they're already a genuine tag team where, you know, people respond to them as such and they work together as such. It it really is remarkable how fast they came together. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Dan, what what are your thoughts on the the Lost Boys this time? Did you think that they were going to be one of the best tag teams in Wildside at this point? Well, certainly hoping. I, I was a big factor in helping to build that tag team division, and the Lost Boys were kind of one of my pet projects. So, uh, you know, getting them in there in the mix and pushing that young talent, um, like seeing them and TNT and Blackout all kind of rising at the same time. And then you also had Project Mayhem. Like it was just with the ab- the total destruction kind of on the way out at this time. They're still around, but the Cole brothers are definitely on the way out. So all of that old guard of tag teams of the big brawler dudes that we'd had kind of going by the wayside, but we had the opportunity to create this like Hardys versus Edge and Christian versus Dudley Boys type feud with TNT, Lost Boys, and Blackout. And so that's exactly what we did. Lost Boys totally held up their end of it. One of my absolute favorite things we ever did in Wildside. Oh, yes. All right, next we get Terry Knight beating Cooter Calhoun with Big Henry Haas in 252. Knight came out wearing a Superman t-shirt to what's probably the strongest response he's ever received at the arena. 
Calhoun and Haas, now called the Redneck Express, got an amazing pop. Larry guesses they've gotten over strong while working the Friday night shows. Uh, Knight showed more of a mean streak, and Calhoun took some nasty punishment as a result. Knight stuck Calhoun's head inside of a chair and stomped on it. Knight followed a slingshot slam into a chair. Calhoun got a brief comeback until he got crushed on the top turnbuckle. Knight went up for something like a super face buster to get the win. So, yep, Terry Knight's back, and uh, we'll have definitely more of him as we go along. All right, next, Adam Jacobs over Lance Dreamer in 940. Bailey and Jacobs circle ringside trying to pick out the female who was sitting in Jacobs' love letters. Bailey said Jacobs was ready to lay the lumber. <laughs> this is a prime opportunity for Bailey's insults, and he took full advantage. Bailey told one girl she was jailbait, so come back in a couple of years, and told another ringside regular that he knew it wasn't her because she couldn't write. <laughs> Bailey told Jacobs, which drew huge heat. Mr. Delicious accompanied Dreamer into the ring, but Dreamer chased him to the bat before the mask got underway. Uh, Dreamer went right up to Jacobs with a series of penitips. Jacobs came back with brawling tactics. Dreamer shoved Jacobs off the top rope into a face-first barricade bump, which drew the NCW chant. Jacobs took awesome bumps throughout the match. He posted Dreamer. After some blatant choking by Jacobs, they both blocked Dragon's suplex attempts. Jacobs landed a big series of kicks. Dreamer came back with a superplex for a two-count. Jacobs used to swing a netbreaker for a two-count. Jacobs missed on a moonsault. Took the upside-down bump off the whip and got leveled by a Dreamer lariat. Jacobs scored another two with a Michinoku driver. Missed on a frost splash. Jacobs countered Dreamer's sleeper with a back suplex. They both stayed down. Jacobs used Yurinagi into a sidewalk slam. It's a Jacobs original, but Larry can't remember what he calls it. To set up his top rope leg drop finisher to George Jam. Great match. Credit Dreamer with some exceptional work to get over strong his first time out as a babyface. Yes, absolutely. Um, Jeff, this is Lance Dreamer's, you know, spotlight match. And he more than held up his own deal here, man. I mean, he... He's, he hung with Adam Jacobs, and he definitely put on a, a solid performance here. So uh, what were your thoughts on Lance Dreamer? And uh, your thoughts on the the, the, the pre-match where you uh, got a chance to rip on the women in the crowd in the building? Uh, I want to cover that first, uh, the, the one about the I knew it wasn't her because she couldn't write. That's, <laughs> that's really funny. I mean, that's, that's pretty proud of that. That's <laughs> Right. Um, Lance Dreamer, I mean, we've said it on here before. I always thought he should have been a bigger baby face in the building. And I mean, here he shows that he could be that guy. So it'll be interesting to see why it doesn't really happen for him as we go forward, because uh, I always thought he should have been a bigger deal than he was. And he certainly delivered in this match and showed that he could be. You know, Dan, you talk about the tag teams. Wouldn't it have been something that they would have, y'all would have just put Dango and Lance Dreamer as, a, as this long haired babyface tag team? You know, that would have made sense to have like this heartthrob heel team, so to speak. I mean, face team. Yeah, that's a great idea. I, I don't know uh, what prevented us from ever thinking of that <laughs> in this era, but uh, certainly may have led them to better fates than they ended up with in the promotion. Not that, you know, they nothing to be ashamed of by their runs. They definitely had some good moments, but neither ever made it into that upper echelon. Yeah, you got your golf team. You got your uh, your athletic babyface team. You got your uh, your your uh, brawling heels and the blackouts. You got your uh, nut job babyfaces and uh, Project Mayhem. Why not have the blowjob team? 
Yeah, get get the blowjob team in there. Get uh, Dango and Lance in there with their with their luxurious hair and great ponytails. You know, but then we would have missed out on the awesome feud with Silky Boom Boom. I I know. (laughs) Good lord. I mean, priorities, man. (laughs) You could, hey, yeah, it could have booked uh, in a Zoom with Jeremy Lopez as a tag team with their uh, love for Japanese wrestling. So there you go. I'm 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 fantasy booking twenty years, you know, in the past. You're on fire. I know. All right, Total Destruction. Sean Rowe and Rusty Riddle beat the New Heavenly Bodies, Chris and Vito, in around 10 minutes. Why Total Destruction's here? They lost that Loser Town match at the last taping. So they entered wearing masks, carrying uh, beer cans. The pop was deafening, and yes, their team name was Drunk and Disorderly, where the running comment, uh, joke on commentary was Stephen and Dan couldn't figure out who was drunk and who was disorderly. Um, the pop was deafening. Told the stress had been involved in some hellacious brawls in the building. This was as good as any of them. It was also reminiscent of the great brawls the original heavy bodies had in Smoky Mount. Bodies tried to make nice by drinking TD's beer. You can guess how that ended up. They started some stain brawl on the floor, followed by, dominated by TD. Danucci and Nelson and Roy each got thrown through separate sections of the ring barricade. Royal slammed one of the bodies on the ramp. Riddle grabbed the, Bristol. Riddle grabbed the baking pan to be put on uh, to good use. They covered Vito's goods with the baking pan, and Royal dropped the headbutt on it. The bodies retreated to the entrance ramp, wanting no part of it. That only intensified the heat. They resumed the match in the ring. Royal went with a head scissors and a double wrist lock on Nelson before attacking Riddle. Royal mopped Vito by goose-stepping on the apron. <laughs> Always great to do. Uh, Riddle used a drop toe hold to turn into an ankle lock submission. Danucci got the ropes. Danucci came back with a knee drop for a two count. Bynes could heat on Riddle. Nilsen Riddle about as hard as humanly possible with the baking pan and asked Larry how he liked it. Danucci the super kick. Danucci put Riddle in the sleeper, went for the mask. Nilsen choked Riddle with a tape from the wrist. Danucci to DT. Riddle used a clothesline to get the tag. Royal started suplexing Danucci all over the ring. Nelson was busted open after being posted by Riddle. Royal used the Northern Lights for the bridge for a two count. Royal laid Danucci out for a top rope leg drop by Riddle. And the one, two, three, and the building exploded. Told the structure to pull off their masks and started celebrating. Dan announced them as the new NWA World Tag Team Champions. Well, Jeff came out and said, not so fast, because he had Mr. Wildside, Steve Martin, on the telephone. And Bailey says this TD was suspended from the NCW arena. The match never happened. Bailey ordered security to remove TD from the building. TD went berserk, beat up on security guards again. Landing chair shots on Rodeo and Lulu and what became a wild scene. Royal kicked down another section of the barricade on his way out. Uh, <laughs> this is where TV ends. After the TV cuts off, Martin's girlfriend, Amy Cantrell, got pissed about all the destruction of the property and ran down the ringside. But Royal just told her to go get fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, this was a wild damn brawl here, Jeff. And uh, boy, you really set off Total Destruction here at the end, didn't you? I think this is the one where Lulu got the color with the can. (laughs) (laughs) But I knew they beat the shit out of that security a couple times here. And my God, they did. But yeah, this was this was a fun brawl. And I mean, you know, the, I think this was about the end of the barricades. Like shortly hereafter, yes. we had guardrails, and uh, the barricades could have been built for the last time because the, they just kept getting destroyed. 
Yeah, it's like the running joke on the TV was who's going to get thrown through the barricade. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty much demolished here. But, Dan, you got to give the, the New Heavenly Bodies credit here. I mean, the, coming in here and, you know, going balls to the wall gets total destruction. They didn't have to do that, but they did it. So, uh, yeah, this is a very enjoyable brawl. Yeah, these guys really got over with me in their appearances because, you know, upon first glance, and I didn't really heard much about them, I just didn't know the new Heavenly Bodies, and it wasn't Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del Rey's. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? And uh, But they get in here and, and, you know, have a really great couple of brawls with total destruction and, uh, you know, get some good heat in their appearances again. They're a bit of a contrast to some of the other stuff we're doing, but they kind of stuck out because of it and used sparingly. They actually worked really well, so I actually ended up enjoying these guys a lot more than I originally thought I was going to. Oh, yeah. They held their own. Absolutely. All right. From that, we go to this. Persephone went to a no contest with Ed Ferrara. Ferrara came out with street clothes with his hair in dreadlocks, carrying a Budweiser. He tried to swerve the crowd into believing he was not like his TV character, the Oklahoma version in WCW, before stating that no woman belongs in the ring, especially one with pigtails. He told Persephone that she should be watching Lifetime in the kitchenette of her double-wide and fetching her husband Schaefer's and pork rinds. Dating himself with the Schaefer's reference. Persephone dead Ferrara with a clothesline. As Ferrara did a go-behind on Persephone, Laz entered the ring and went nut the butt with Ferrara. <laughs> nut the butt. Uh, Laz landed the series of rights that closed line Ferrara to the floor. Ferrara struggled back into the ring with a chair. Laz stripped Ferrara of the chair and caught him with a Britney spear. Fans chanted, shave your back at Ferrara. Oh, yes, Dan. The uh, This is just the beginning of this whole thing. The wonderful Persephone and Ferrara feud. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> it's uh it's they do some stuff that would absolutely get us kicked off of television or canceled now and i mean it was pretty uncomfortable to watch even then and uh but it's it's you know basically a rehash of ed ferrara doing the andy kaufman angle and Ed was also quite a pleasant surprise because you know i don't think any of us were big fans of Vince Russo and that whole like style of of what he brought to wrestling and you know a lot of people largely blamed him for, for the demise and you know I don't think that's true necessarily of WCW but he certainly had a hand in it and so you know with Ed coming in I, I think everybody was a little skeptical like oh god what is it but he was actually a really cool dude uh, he was super down to earth very hospitable with everyone he really worked hard to try to get in his spot over he went out there and got his ass kicked um, so, you know, I, I, I don't think this was kind of him and Bill's brainchild was that Ed and Bill Barron's kind of came up with this angle together. And, you know, the idea was to kind of re recreate the Andy Kaufman bit. But, uh, yeah, it, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. And Jeff, you'll have, uh, more to do with this later in the show with these two, but, uh, yeah, Ed, Ed I mean, it's also ripping off Ed's angle with, with Medusa and WCW, you know, and uh, towards the end there. He did the same type of, of shtick there in the, in the Oklahoma gimmick, where he uh, lost the Cruiserweight title to Medusa. Yes, folks, that actually happened. I um, wish this had been that good. <laughs> yes, we'll have more on that later. Uh, we'll save it for for that uh, when we get to that later in the show. But, but let me agree with Dan and say Ed 
is a super great, friendly, hospitable guy who I loved having there and being around despite this Andy Kaufman bit that was, you know, dated 20 years ago. And watching it now, it's ee, not, not, not much good to say about it, honestly. No, not at all. All right, TNT. Todd Sexton and Tony Stradlin beat the Cole <laughs> brothers to win the Wild Side Tag Titles in 824. Todd used his speed for brief advantage on the Cole, scoring a flying form. When the Cole just swing a net break into control, the brothers dubbed the body of the match. One Cole chopped the hell out of Tony on the floor. Tony was taken to the mat with, for some clubbing cross-face blows. Cole's did a suplex elbow drop combo. They were at the real cocky now. They had Tony up for a powerbomb, then a net breaker. Pulled him up at the count of two each time. That's never good. Cole's raw chair into the ring, drove the edge to Tony. It broke down into a four-way after the hot tag. Lost Boys didn't run in. Azrael lost Boys used a chair on the Coles. They did a double clothesline on the Coles. And Todd scored, scored the quick pin. Big pop for the new champions. Coles ran Azrael to the barricade and gave Gabriel a suplex on the floor in the post-match. Well, here we go. We get the uh, the end here of basically of the Cole brothers and TNT winning the, the Wildside Tag titles, and now we have the new era, Jeff, of uh, the tag teams and Wildside. Absolutely. This was a, a tremendous match. Um, but it, I ended up laughing really hard at the end where the Lost Boys <laughs> save TNT, and TNT gets the belts, and then they just leave and let the Lost Boys get the hell beat out of them out there by the Coles. <laughs> they just leave with the titles. Like, thanks, guys. We, we got our belts. We'll just leave you out here now. So uh, <laughs> that, that made me laugh. But, yeah, I mean, this is this is the start of all this stuff. I mean, you know, this this whole new birth of these tag teams. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, Blackout cut a promo outside the arena talking about Caprice picking his Eschersonville brother over them. That <laughs> was a mistake. Homicide said his mama told him never to fight another black man, but it's all about the money, and he's going to split his head down to the white meat. Homicide then said it was a suburban white boy. That a, then said that a suburban white boy took his manhood from him, and he ain't the same no more. That's the one thing that we're going to have here as this show goes along is Dan, we ha- we have more out the ring promos coming up, and we'll have music videos and stuff like that. Is it? Are you leading the charge here in this, or or who el- who else is involved here in changing up and going to more promos and videos here? Well, this would be when Steve sort of backs off of the production side, and Andrew takes over full time. And when Andrew takes over full time, Jeff and I have a tremendous influence over the production. So it's really the three of us, even throw white trash in there because, you know, he helped with a lot of the ideas as well. But we were always trying to come up with ideas to spice up the TV show, to round it out because we were trying to make the best TV show possible, knowing we're going to have to cut a lot of matches and stuff like that. So it's like to really try to make the TV streamline and focus on the main angles that we were really pushing. And uh, it's. There's some hiccups at first, but I think it really does even out pretty nicely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, William Welt with that Ferrari beat Laz at 535. Laz had so much money stuffed in his tights during the intro, they had to give Dan a fistful of his dollars for his match started. <laughs> wow, good for Laz. He probably got paid more by the fans than he did for the match. <laughs> 
The returning... I, I know he did. <laughs> the returning wealth was okay as far as his work, but he has sloppy, low-level indie look. Ferrara went to do commentary with Ray Zat rather than staying in ringside. Nice one like Super S by Laz. Wealth took over used American covers. Laz had a cool Spring War net breaker. After a series of rights, Laz lined Wealth up for the field goal to kick to the nuts. Laz got in two of his trademark headshots to the groin. When Ferrara came to the ringside, Wealth scored a variation of his rock bottom and Ferrara grabbing Laz's leg to prevent the kick out. Bill Berenson, happy about Ferrara screwing o- over Laz. Berenson, a rematch between Laz and Wolf at the next taping with a stipulation that if Laz wins, he gets five minutes with Ferrara. Ferrara be handcuffed to the ring post during the match. And Berenson said that after Laz pumped out Wolf, he was getting Ferrara's ass and heel refs Thomas's ass. Laz <laughs> says, quote, I can handle all the ass you can give me, unquote. <laughs> I guess the one saving grace about all this stuff, <laughs> Jeff, is Laz and uh, being great at what he did here as a right. character. Yes. I mean, he, he definitely carried this. I mean, Ed was fine in the role he was doing. It's just, I don't know, the role seemed to be dated already. I mean, if you've seen the Andy Kaufman stuff, and I mean, I think anybody who's been a heel manager in wrestling has ended up doing some variation of the Andy Kaufman stuff with a woman over at some point. (laughs) But, you know, nobody's done it better than Andy Kaufman did. No, nobody at all. Absolutely. All right. um, So, Jeff, you cut a promo with Justice and Jason Cross (laughs) about the tag match with AJ and Dynamite Rod Williams later that night. AJ been ripping off Jason Cross his whole career, and that he would unleash his doomsday device on Styles. Just said the only way Styles and Williams could beat them is if they were all competing as runway models, which Cross reminded Justice that he was the only role model around here. Great line. Justice said this was not this was Wildside, not the Chippendales Review, <laughs> and they got something for them. Just said the only thing the paramedics would ask them as they got carried on on stretchers would be, "What kind of animals did this to you?" Oh, yeah, this was fun stuff, and Jeff, I mean, Justice was fantastic as a promo guy in this segment. That guy, it's kind of a shame in a way that he never got to be this character on a big stage. I mean, Abyss was a great character. You know, it made his career. But I wish that we would have got the Justice character at one point in time pushed heavily on TNA or wherever, because he was awesome. Yeah, he uh, he definitely had a lot of personality. I, I enjoyed this thing. I uh, does anybody know what a punk stick is? I mean, is that something? Did y'all know what that is? Um, I, I called told Rob Dynamite Rob Williams. He wasn't dynamite. He was barely a sparkler. In fact, he was just a punk stick. That's a thing you would get when you buy fireworks that you would light to light your fireworks with. It was wow. a stick thing. Okay. Nobody knows that, huh? Jesus, I am old. <laughs> I I always thought like a punk stick was called uh, Iceman King Parsons Rudy Pooh stick or something like that, you know? <laughs> it was, it was no, like, it's like the thing that would give you some, like when you bought fireworks, you'd light it, and then you could light your firecrackers with it instead of having to light a match because, you know, Bic lighters weren't even around yet. And 
anyway, I guess it was before y'all's time. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I never fooled around with fireworks that much. I wasn't. My Jesus, back. I thought you were from the south. Yeah, but I, I, I watched them. I just didn't do it. <laughs> the only thing, only thing I got involved with was, uh, you know, making like PVC pipe bombs and stuff like that. Yeah, well, you need fireworks to do that at the time. I, yeah, well, it, it got more advanced in the nineties. <laughs> you were doing other I things. Had to break apart the firecrackers and scrape the gunpowder out and all that stuff to make a pipe bomb. Yeah, we would go out in the country, uh, me and my friends, and uh, do some shit like that. And that was some fun times back in the. It 90s. was fun. Now you'd be arrested for being a terrorist. <laughs> yes, yes, you would. And and Dan, going back and watching this stuff, you know, watching these promos like from Justice and stuff. I mean, God, yeah, I mean, it, it, so good, so good. What were your thoughts on on him and this character at this time? No, I agree a thousand percent with you as far as uh, him not being utilized to his full potential in the major promotions. Uh, Abyss was a fantastic character, a very cool monster character. Uh, my only complaint with it was, you know, you had the hardcore monster character, but you would not put him in with anybody that would do the hardcore stuff. So he always just ended up taking his own gimmicks, which fucking kind of killed him, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Justice was a fully rounded package, in my opinion. He could talk, he could work, uh, he had that larger-than-life charisma and everything, and, and really think he could have been bigger than Abyss, who was a top guy in TNA. So, that that's my opinion on it. Oh, yeah. So, everybody go back and watch this stuff, yeah. All right, uh, Caprice Coleman's Sweet Dreams defeated Blackout, ran in a homicide by DQ in A40. The crowd heat on Blackout is huge. It's the kind of gangsters got in Smoky Mountain. Oh, I'd say it's be it's different and better. Definitely. Coleman debuted more new moves. He did a spectacular triple dump dive to the floor, using his brother's back instead of a chair. Caprice also did an elevated inverted DT slingshot move. Coleman got posted. Blackout Bridgefoot took over on Dreams. Coleman got the tag and scored the Hurricane Conrana. Coleman followed with the Centon to a side moonsault combo. Rayman came back with a butt bomb. Blackout doubled up and kept the heat on Coleman. Rayman had a killer spinning spine bust for a two count. Coleman got a visual fall with a schoolboy. While Andrew Thomas was holding Dreams back in the corner. Dreams finally tagged him in clean house with slams. Coleman pulled out of the ropes, sitting homicide to the floor. Dreams hit a suplex face buster. Coleman landed a drop, but homicide broke it up. Coleman had Rayman beat with a thermal shot when Cross hit the ring for the DQ. Cross used two of his crucifix powerbombs and Blackout came up top with stereo diving headbutts to destroy Coleman. TNT made the save. Coleman received medical attention in the ring and was carried out on a backboard. And yes, he's no longer Cross anymore, Dan. He's Havoc. So now we have now we have this group all incomplete now. New Jack, Rayman, Homicide, and Havoc. And yeah, they had heat, man. And we talked about the South Atlanta, you know, crew earlier, Norco and and Dave and all those guys. That was a thing when you watching the TV show, the running thing between Blackout and the South Atlanta guys, and it it looked like at times it could have gotten you know more than what it was. But you know, it was fun watching watching them go at it there. But uh, what were your thoughts on all this? Uh, blackout was one of my favorite things of early wild side. And I think the South Atlanta guys did really have a lot of, a lot to do with getting them over with the heel heat that they had. 
And uh, I think adding Havoc was a nice touch, even though it didn't last very long. It served its purpose as being this heater in this this build that we were doing here where we did do all these beatdowns that Havoc would come in and deliver these kill shots. Uh, WF rule of that time, you know, you couldn't have two Shanes and you couldn't have, <laughs> you didn't have two crosses. Even though it was cross with a K, we already had a Jason cross, so we had to come up with a new name. Yeah, I guess. I mean, and and Havoc sounds better than Cross, so sounds more menacing, so to speak. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Jeff, what are your thoughts on on this uh, stuff here going on? There's not much more to add to what Dan said. I mean, this this group of blackout. You know, we we put New Jack over there to lift him up, and like Dan said, we got the big muscle heater guy coming in delivering these kill shots. And they put together the video later of the blackout body count and stuff. So, yeah, this stuff is really strong. Some of my favorite stuff. And uh, and, and Murder, Homicide at the time, uh, is, is one of my favorite promos. I mean, you know, he really uh, is, I mean, the Suburbanite stuff. You lost to a Suburbanite was cracking me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jimmy Rave over Lex Lovett to retain the Wildside Junior title in 1055. Lovett is a muscled-up bleach blonde who recently won the NWA Super Juniors Tournament in Florida. After a series of counters and reversals, Rave got the upper hand with some arm drags. Lovett bailed out in frustration. Lovett did some nice old-school stuff. Rave made a series of pinnacles, including a cool rolling pin counter off a wheelbarrow. Lovett hit a lariat to take over. Lovett dropped Rave's face on the top buckle out of a gorilla press and took it right to a back suplex. Lovett used vertical suplex. Lovett blew a spot, but recovered a lead drop off the second rope. Rave hit a hurricane rana. Lovett was bleeding hard away from the nose. Rave got two with a sleeper drop. Lovett decided to brawl. He dumped Rave and threw him into the seats. Went for a chair, but speeding else took away. Lovett used a slingshot leg drop from the apron. Missed a springboard moonsault, and Rave landed the leg layer to the back of the head. Lovett used a DVD for a near fall. Did a backflip back elbow move that was not his strong suit. Lovett somehow took a face-first bump. Rave shoulder-blocked Lovett from the apron and planned him with the springboard tornado DDT for the pin. Good batch. But not as heated as some of the others. Well, I mean, it's a guy who's basically making his wild side debut, Jeff. I mean, it's a title match, and he's a guy from Florida, but this is not a feud and not, you know, a matchup between two guys that's regulars in a promotion. Yeah, I mean, they, they went 11 minutes, which is a, a pretty long time for a TV match, although they got about, what, two minutes of it on TV, so. It looks like they did a lot, and not a lot made television. Yeah, is it Dan? Is this the match where Jimmy hurt himself? No. Okay, it's not. Okay, all right. That was Kingsport. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get into yep. that. We'll get into that then. Um, and now the main event of the show, match number thirteen. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, at least they weren't all long marathon matches. So that, that is one thing. Uh, Justice and Jason Cross with Jeff and Adam Jacobs beat AJ Styles and Dynamite Rob Williams at 12.53. Another action-packed Wildside main event. Cross and Styles do some real counters as you each try to set the Clash finisher. Indescribable stuff. Cross did a late tuck on the high bat drop by Williams. Justice landed a big punch on Styles and got a big fat turd chant. Uh, Cross landed a leg drop series on Styles. Justice Slam Styles set a leg drop on second rope, which was missed. Williams tagged in, hit a tornado bulldog. Hurricane Ronda took the world slam in succession. 
Justice Squash wins with a butt drop. Cross uses a brain busting and a running shooting star for a two count. Cross went for Styles' off the chest moonsault, but Dynamite Rob caught him with a lariat. Justin Williams exchanged some vicious Ronnie Garvin variety slaps. They were pretty tight. Uh, Cross did a picture perfect spin kick. Jacobs gave Justice a chair. Thomas just ignored it. Justice opened a hard way gash on Williams' chin with a butt drop on the chair. Styles got up with her Corrado Justice. Styles did his German suplex up into a face buster move on Cross. Styles and Williams playing Justice with a giant double flapjack. Justice bumped to the floor for double lariat. Styles went for shooting Styles press, but the slippery and loose ropes made it dangerous as hell, and he barely made contact with Justice on the landing. That ain't good. Cross was laid out to take a bump into Thomas. Justice Williams with a belt and dragged Cross on top of the cover. Cross kicked out for a great false finish. Well, Williams kicked out. Justice went for another belt shot on Williams, but laid out his partner. Styles hit Justice with a missile drop kick, also took out Thomas. As Styles covered, Nelson slid, speaking of slid in to make the count, but Bailey pulled him out. Styles on a Pescado on Bailey and Jeff. I mean, Jeff and Jacobs, mostly Jeff. Finished all Justice, finally hit the death penalty on Williams. Thomas recovered to make the three count. Cross laid Styles out with a Styles clash. Once again, no revenge for the baby faces. So, yeah, I mean, this is a damn, damn good tag match, Jeff. And uh, you were there for the whole thing. So, what were your thoughts on it? Rewatching it. Yeah, building that heat. I mean, and and my God, was Rob Williams positioned so strong over these tapings and stuff. I mean, and he's right there for everything. I uh, I really like this a lot. But you know, like we said at the early part, I mean, AJ over these these TVs is just every one of these matches. He's he's just next level. And of course, you know, Jason's rising right up there with him and. uh Rob's carrying his end of the deal. And uh, I will say this, every time AJ ever did a dive and it was me and Jason, it was always me that got the worst of it. Jason was a terrible catcher. <laughs> yeah, that's not good on his part, man. But um, yeah, Donald Rob Williams, we, we, I know we talked about him on uh, previous shows, but yeah, I mean, Dan, he's getting the, the push of his life here, and it's about to give it even more big as we go along. Oh, we had big plans for Rob that didn't quite come to fruition, uh, but he and Justice came down together. They were both from the Cincinnati area, trained by the same guy, uh, Roger Ruffin, I think was his name. And uh, Rob was just a total pro, man. We loved hanging out with him, loved working with him. Um, I don't, we'll, we'll get to what, you know, when he finishes up with the promotion, I think, you know, originally he'd had plans to come back, but I'm not really sure what all happened there. Jeff may, able, may be able to shed some more light on that when we get to it, yeah. but, uh, w- was a big fan of Rob. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, notes, Bill Barron's opened the show by promoting the upcoming events on August 11th in Kingsport and August 15th in Athens at George theater with the main event of AJ Styles against Jason Cross. Barron's promised surprises for the next big show in the arena on September the 1st. Steve Martin missed the show. Martin was in the midst of a run that has included his finest work in Wildside, Larry said. Yeah, Steve was Steve was doing good in his character role, but, yep, times are changing. Referee Andrew Thomas finally pronounced himself healed and worked the show without wearing his cast. Total stress will be going to Florida next month for a rematch of Emily Bodies. And he talks about Mike Rapata's uh, mother passing away. So there's that. All right, now this is going to be a thing we're going to have on this show. We're going to talk about throughout the show. Wildside and TV clearances as we go to August the 9th, 2001, my 22nd birthday. Uh, 
ATT Broadband in DeKalb County now runs the commercial-free version of NWA Wildside on Mondays at 11.30 p.m. on Channel 25 on the entire DeKalb County system. Occasional second runs may occur on Tuesdays. WVAG, TV44, and Valdosta, Albany will add Wildside to their schedule the next few weeks on Sundays at 11.30 p.m. So there's two, two good clearances right there for TV. And again, we'll have more on that as we go along. And then tell us about the Athens uh, show on the 15th. Uh, AJ against Jason Cross. Adam Jacobs against uh, Jimmy Rave. Blackout against TNT and the Lost Boys in three-way. Well, White Trash versus G-Rated. Handicap match. Rick Monks versus David Young. We have more on that when we get to that. And then uh, August the 10th in 2001, King Sport Civic Auditorium. The only and There's no results for this show online. I could find. Only thing I found was AJ Styles defeated Jason Cross in the main event of the show. Blackout defeated TNT to become the tag team champions, but then lost the titles to destruction later in the show. Jimmy Ray was injured in his match with Adam Jacobs and we out of action for a couple of weeks. As a result of his injury, Ray will not be able to compete in Athens. At that show, or the TV taping of the arena on the 18th. Ray was scheduled to rematch with Adam Jacobs, who will still wrestle against a yet-to-be-named surprise opponent. The Athens show George Theater will begin at 9 p.m. We get there early for the best seat. We'll talk about that in a second. But King Sports don't have the full results of this show, Dan. But uh, what were your memories of going to uh, the Civic Auditorium? Oh, the Summer Sizzler Tour of 2001. The ill-fated Summer Sizzler Tour, though we had a lot of fun. Um, we had just done a show in Hickory, North Carolina prior to this, which was like a dismal failure due like 10 people, uh, with AJ against Ju- Prince Justice in the main event in like their first ever one-on-one match that nobody saw. This is kind of the follow-up to that. And uh, we did a little better in Kingsport. What would you say the draw was, Jeff, there? Maybe, you know, 30 max. Like it was still not good, but it was better than Hickory. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting show. There's some good matches on it. The AJ and Cross match was great. Um, the Blackout and TNT match was really good. The Blackout and Total Destruction match was not so good. Uh, to- like, we were building them up, and thank God it was in front of nobody because, you know, we were building these guys up to be our hard-ass, you know, gangsters-esque tag team, and Total Destruction fucking guzzled them in Kingsport. I mean, threw them around like fucking rag dolls. So, <laughs> it was probably good that, you know, there weren't that many people in the building that night. Well, that's the thing that, you know, I remember talking to Tank about this one time at SCI. You know, we somehow got to about total destruction. And he talked about how Sean and Rusty would definitely go into business for themselves at times in matches. Uh, I mean, I, uh, were they supposed to do that, or was or was that against what was supposed to be going on? I mean, the way you make it sound, Dan, is that they weren't supposed to eat them alive here, so... I mean, no, yeah, it was supposed to be a competitive match, and it was not really that. <laughs> like, it was, it was pretty one-sided, and you know, they're legit badasses. And not that like Raymond and Homicide were fucking badasses too, but these guys were like old school, next level badasses, and they weren't fucking working. They weren't cooperating too well with Blackout that night. Jeff, what, I mean, what are your thoughts when something like that happens, where you have a match and you have guys or or a singles match, one guy who decides, 
uh, that's not going to work for me, brother, and decides to uh, go into business for himself and, and how the match is laid out. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, in, in this case, with Sean and Rusty, I, I think they knew they were being phased down and uh, the spotlight was coming off of them. So they were probably trying to get a little bit more while they could. Um, I don't know if it was as bad as Dan makes it out to be, but <laughs> I don't remember it as well as he does. Um, I remember Jason AJ having a really great match. Um but yeah, as far as total destruction, I think uh, you know they were just kind of phasing down, and, and they could see all these new young tag teams, and and probably wanted to you know emphasize that they were still the big dogs, but uh, they weren't anymore. Your memories of the show is involving fans, as we talked about earlier. So I mean that that's going to take. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely that. <laughs> oh my goodness! And and, and AJ did the the shooting star. To yeah. the floor, and uh, Jason was nowhere to be seen. I took the full brunt of that catch as well. I remember that. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely were a trooper. You gotta say that. I mean, I, we, we couldn't let them, the MVP hit the ground. No, I mean, no. Under the MVP. <laughs> yes. All right. So Athens, August fifteenth. No full results for this show either. But it featured one of the damnedest brawls ever, as David Young and New Jack went to war. But when Rip Michaels got involved, New Jack turned on them, and the brawl went all over the building. It would be revealed later that David Young paid off New Jack to take care of Rip Michaels. Yes. <laughs> this was promoting a video on television for um, people to buy from Wildside Home Video. And oh my God. I mean, this looked full on insanity, Dan. Um, what were your memories of uh, of this whole situation? The Georgia Theater was a fucking magnificent venue. Um, it was, uh, you know, a classic music venue in Athens. Uh, so we, you know, really were excited to go there. A lot of famous bands had played there. And, uh, you know, we had this match with AJ and Jason Cross that was just unfucking believable And that was, uh, you know, Athens is always the town that showed up for us on the house shows. And that show was no different. It was a packed audience. There were people up in the fucking rafters in this place. Um, it was great. I mean, it was it was just a, a hell of a night. And you can go watch the stuff that made those home videos. I think we touched this briefly on the last episode, but Bill has now put those out for blood home videos up on the wild side YouTube yes. channel. So mm -hmm. you can go check those out. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, great commercial plugging, uh, plugging in the show. And, uh, Jeff, what were your thoughts on the, the Georgia theater show here and then shows in general? Yeah. Like Dan said, we were all excited to, to do the thing in the Georgia theater. It was really weird because it's a stage. So the rain is on a stage and the people are down below. So, I mean, some of the guys would do a spot from the top rope down to the floor, like off the top of the ring, off the stage to the floor. So there's some huge spots in that building that night and a just great spot with, AJ and Jason on the floor where AJ just runs up the wall into this flip thing. I mean, you, you have to see it to believe it. And uh, like Dan said, it's on the wild side YouTube page on those Alpha bloods. And uh, there's a lot of really great stuff that happened in the Georgia theater. Cause we came back again and uh, more great stuff. So yeah, that was a really fun place to work. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, August 17th, New Face is going to show up at Wildside at the Friday shows in the NCW Arena. On August 17th, it was former WWE star Lodi who visited Wildside and team with Rhett Michaels for a match. Nine matches overall. At only $5 for adults and kids under 12 for free, the Friday Wildside shows are a great value. Check one out soon. You never know who might show up. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> And uh, Wildside for the Friday shows, we don't have a whole lot of results of the Friday shows in this era. Um, you know, um, on, they, they didn't put them on the website. You know, it, I had to lean heavily on the Wildside website this time uh, to find stuff. And they didn't put any results up of those shows, didn't really advertise lineups that much. I mean, again, that goes to the, what I was talking about earlier. I mean, if you're not advertising, great. I mean, I know there's no such thing as social media back then. That's a that's a game changer now in wrestling, and no pun intended with game changer wrestling. But I mean, and you still people said websites. You still could get it out there. You still could plug it, you know, on the various wrestling news sites and whatever. And Wildside had a presence on those sites, but yeah, I mean, put all that stuff out there. You know, plug a plug away, man. Every show you got, plug hard. And I just never understood that. Well, didn't I think hard. some of that was by design on the Fridays, Chris, because of the fact that a lot of the talent was so super green. Oftentimes it was a tryout show, okay. and we would do Makes some sense. stuff occasionally that I don't want to say it conflicted with the storylines from TV because we certainly tried to avoid that. But there would be stuff that if you were trying to follow the storylines from TV and Friday nights that you might – get a little confused so it was like okay. we wanted people to show up but it was a training show so we didn't want like the flaws to be exposed if that I makes any you. sense yeah it makes perfect sense i mean that's a good point absolutely yeah it also wasn't really so much a show that was booked in advance as it was okay here's who we've got here Let's put some stuff together. And then if you could tell some stories where guys could commit to being at the shows, you could do that. But like Dan said, a lot of it was tryouts and uh, guys trying to get in and get on or or guys who were training and stuff like that. So uh, it was a good place for somebody like Twisted, who became Gabriel, to, to get ring work but not really be exposed to the TV crowd until he was. Unlike Marky Mark and Mark for Michaels, who was out there as all these different things. And fortunately, it did not ruin him, and people accepted him as Azrael, and also because he delivered like crazy as Azrael. Yeah. All right, so August 18th. Bill Barron's up in the evening with the announcement that Steve Martin would not be in attendance of the show. In addition, on September 29th, Wildside began to run shows in the air conditioned. 1,500-seat capacity Globe Theater in downtown Atlanta. All fans that attend the September 1st TV table will get free tickets to the show. And it gives directions to the Globe Theater. Uh, Barron's introduced Dan and Dragon Wilson, brother and announced the partners of Steve President Jim and Paul Rash. All right, our opening match of the show, the Redneck Express, Cooter Calhoun, Big Henry Haas, beat the Long Riders, Colt Derringer, and Outlaw John Dalton. That match did not make television. But we do have G-rated of Kid Cool and Kid Ecstasy, which is, they, they're they two guys who we'll talk about uh, as we go along. Took on Slim J and Mike Pittman. However, the match was ruled no contest when Terry Knight and David Young ran in and attacked both, all, all four young men. Jeff G. Bailey made his way to ringside, telling Young and Knight to get the trash out of the ring. 
The crown chatted child abuse as all four boys were thrown to the floor. A surprise came, though, when Bailey brought out David Penzer, former WCW ring announcer to the ring, to announce the new bad attitude. David Young and Terry Knight. Bill Barron's made his way to ring, so I was about to be attacked by uh, Young and Knight when he was joined by Total Destruction, the current Wildside Tag Team Champions, who he had hired as bodyguards for the night. He could, they could work as bodyguards, so they couldn't wrestle. Barron stated on September 1st to be matched between the two bad attitudes, Knight and Young versus Rip Michaels and a partner of his choosing. Bailey responded by delivering a message from Mr. Wildside at the Civic Auditorium in Kingsport, where Total Destruction defeated Blackout for the titles as his building, and since Soul Destruction are banned from his building, their win over Blackout didn't occur, and Blackout is still the Wild Side Tag Team Champions. Bailey looked through the crowd after being chased by TD. A fan approached the attorney at law, and words as well as punches were exchanged. Security finally pulled the men apart, and the fan was escorted from the arena. Jeff? <laughs> well, yeah. This, this is actually my favorite Andrew Thomas story of all time. <laughs> now, we've been going through this. You can see we've been building this heat. It is getting heated out there with the people. You know, the baby faces are not getting their comeback. We're beating the shit out of them. Bill says, go through the crowd. It'll be fine. <laughs> I said, Bill, it's not going to be fine. He said, it, it'll be fine, Jeff. Just go through the crowd. So I, as soon as I get over the guardrail, this guy is charging me. So, I mean, I just charge at him, and I basically fez press that guy <laughs> and take him down, and I've got my thumbs like digging into his eyes and stuff and I'm screaming I'm taking your eyes home with me you know and security's trying to hold me and here comes Andrew and I hear Andrew in my ear and he goes no Jeff no and then right at that point I see Andrew's fist shoot in like three times and just hit that guy in the face boom 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 like just three solid punches he just smashes that guy in the face and I just start laughing and you know let go and, and security kind of pulls me off of him and then pull him out and stuff but I mean he totally diffused the whole thing by it's like no Jeff no and then just bam <laughs> just start smashing that guy in the face funny as shit it's a shame this is not made television but I understand why it didn't but uh, Dan did you see all this go down from where you was at or what were your thoughts on all this Oh, yeah, we we were, like, flabbergasted that somebody, I mean, we were really shocked, but, you know, that they had the balls to do it. And what was even funnier is we come to find out that the guy that attacked him apparently had came with total destruction and was a friend of theirs. <laughs> well, obviously he wasn't as tough as Rusty and Sean. <laughs> no, and apparently wasn't smartened up with at all, which is probably a good thing in some aspects, but holy shit. Yeah, uh, like, and, and of course, even if it would have gotten on TV, the cameras like weren't there for it. This happened yeah. like in the thick of a, a crowd, so it was hard to see what was going on. But you know, from our vantage point, we knew there was trouble. Jet, did you know that guy was with Rusty and Sean at the time? Not at the time. No, I just saw the guy charging me. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, when somebody, I just started, you know, coming for him, and once, you know. If somebody's coming to attack, I mean that's that's that that's that Bill Watts rule, you know. You can't ever let a fan get the better of you. You know, you gotta 
you got to kill that guy. So I saw he was coming at me. I wasn't going to let him hit me first. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's crazy. I love that. <laughs> well, you, you, that's quite, let's see. So the Kingsport thing was on the 10th. This is on the 18th. Well, you've had uh, quite the eight days at that time with fans. Good Lord. Like I said, we were stacking that heat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so Project Mayhem, White, white Trash and Tank uh, went against uh, uh, Blackout, Ring Man and Homicide in the Hardcore Rules title match. Match fought all over the arena. The team at uh, Tank and Trash were both bleeding very badly, not long into the match. Havoc then ran in and attacked both uh, Tank and Trash with heavy metal chain. Trash was put through six chairs while Tank was dragged from ringside out the door by Blackout with a dog collar and a chain. He was attached to the back of an SUV. As Blackout fired at the SUV and tried to drag Tank behind it, Total Destruction showed up and managed to release Tank just before Blackout sped away. This was all censored on the August 25th TV show. Trash met lay motionless in the ring. Medical personnel was called in, and Trash had to be carried from ringside. He would miss the September 1st show as a result of his injuries. Holy shit, what a segment this was, Dan. Oh, my God. I mean, the the <clears throat> trash going through those chairs, tank being drugged by the chain. I mean, this was fucking hardcore right here, brother. It was some pure mayhem, some straight out of Memphis and slash ECW type stuff that we were all about at this time. Uh, trash taking that insane powerbomb through those chairs which we later dubbed the steel casket or I dubbed yes. at the time the steel casket uh, which we would go back to every time the chairs were used like that we would call it the steel casket <laughs> um, but Trash sold that like a million bucks it was a great fucking angle and then the shit with Tank out in the parking lot was topical because that had just some like racists in Texas had yes. just drug a black mm -hmm. man behind their truck and murdered him yes, and right. so this was another one of those like kind of topical things that we would touch on so Blackout was doing the reverse they were going to get their revenge on a white boy uh, and we're going to drag Tank behind their truck and of course the censoring of it was actually to make it look worse than it was because, of course, they couldn't actually pull off with tanks still attached to the fucking thing. So, and the fans were on the other side of the barricade outside in the parking lot, so they couldn't really see what was going on. So, we threw the censored bar up there to make it look like the tank actually got drugged a little bit by the truck, even though he really didn't. So, okay, so that's, that's going to be my question. Were you forced to do what you did on your own, the censoring? So, there you go. So there you go. Just little smoke and mirrors to make it look a little more devastating. Yeah, and then Tank and Trash show backstage afterwards where Trash was laying there selling, and Tank grunting and growled as the August 25th TV show went off the air. Uh, Jeff, rewatching this, what were your thoughts on it, man? I mean, it was pretty wild. Oh, man, it, it's so exciting. You know, I mean, again, you know, it's it's so much of watching this stuff, and I mean, it's just it's just a different kind of wrestling because it's wrestling built on heat, and and that doesn't even exist as a thing really anymore. And here, it's like it was everything, and uh, people are definitely responding to it. And uh, I know Trash says that uh, he still feels that bop. That's the one bop that he still feels is the steel casket that would never went away. Well, shit. I mean, good Lord. I mean, they, they put him through them chairs. I mean, there was, there, there wasn't no gift. They were there and they took it, buddy. And, uh, my God. Yeah. That, that had to fucking suck. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the thing about this time. A lot of those steel chairs are those National Guard armory chairs, and they weigh like five pounds more than than the average chair. You know, these lighter steel chairs that came around. These are these super heavy things, you know. You'd always be like, for God's sakes, don't put one of those under the ring or something, because, I mean, I mean, and of course it did happen. And, I mean, guys would just get brained with those things, and uh, they were terrible they're so heavy oh yeah all right so how you follow that up sergeant hardner and the returning omen face dan factor and dango win where we're we back 2000 again uh wonderful tag team by the newly formed team of factor and win uh inazuma ran in and attempted to spit the red mist in the win's face however it was hardner they got the face full of red mist resulting in a win win for win and dan factor Wow, Jeff Omen, Dan Factor here on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly the match made the cut for television because they were there because it seems unlikely that it would have otherwise. And uh, it wasn't terrible. So that was good. <laughs> That's a great compliment to, to give out, uh, Dan. Uh, yeah, it was a terrible. And, you know. But what about Omen, Omen, and, Omen and Dan Factor coming back? What, what's the reasoning for them being on the show here out of nowhere? Yeah, he wasn't terrible is right there on par with he's a really nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was good to see these guys back. They could have been in and out of Japan. So basically uh, when they were back in the area, they would try to come in and work. But it wasn't any sort of long-term thing. They were just kind of in to visit and say hi. They had enjoyed their time with us and like to come back and visit whenever they were you know, back in the States. There you go. All right, the match between Laz and William Wolf did not take place. Aww. But FRR appeared, introduced by David Penzer, who briefly got into exchange with NWA Wild Set announcer Dan Wilson. It was confronted by Bill Barrett. A match between Laz and FRR was made for September 1st. If Laz, if, if Ed lasts five minutes against Laz, he gets Bill Barrett in the ring. If he doesn't last five minutes, then he leaves Wildside for good. All right, Dan. Uh, Dave Penzer here in the building. Uh, what are your thoughts on working with Dave here in this angle? This was a great little deal. I, I really marked out for getting to do it. I was kind of, you know, embarrassed going back and watching some of my ridiculous baby face overselling for it. But, <laughs> um, like, you know, it was it was a wonderful experience to get to work with, like, you know, this guy that they'd seen on WCW. And then he's coming in and doing this heel shtick. And it really helps cement me as, like, the baby face Lance Russell type figure of wild side that you know i was no longer from that point on really an impartial play-by-play man and really the heat with all the elite angle thrown out that out the window a few weeks prior anyway so i you know it just became the full-on like rah-rah babyface announcer from this point on and the pinzer angle had a lot to do with it there's stuff that we did that i don't even think made tv because i think we did some stuff where it actually got physical later on but i i don't know that we actually put that on the show uh, one thing you said about Penzer, uh, Jeff, is that uh, he was he was really good at being a heel, wasn't he? He was. Um, you know, this whole thing with Terry and David and Penzer and all that, I think that all would have been Steve's spot normally, but with, with Steve not being there, I had to pick that up. And uh, I actually did enjoy the stuff with Penzer and stuff. I thought he was a good heel. He was funny, you know. And, and like Dan said, it really cemented him as a baby face in the building. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, he he come off really good as condescending and being a douchebag, and yeah, it it it'd been interesting if he would have been around more. But uh, yeah, it was fun fun the times he did show up there. All right, TNT Todd and Tony took on the Lost Boys and won the best matches of the night. The match also spilled to the audience. Tony dove off the top rope into the crowd and into the Lost Boys. Todd and they climbed the top of the cage that remains in pieces in between matches the, for the steel cage match when they have them, and leaped to the floor. Awesome match with no one contender spot, but it resulted in a double count out by senior referee Andrew Thomas, a finish that did not sit well with a near-capacity crowd. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to do the screw-job finishes to tell the story, and that's what this is doing. This is their first, like, big match against each other. And, um... And yeah, Jeff. I mean, you can see it immediately. You know, th- th- these guys have wor- these teams have worked together already, but you can see it here that this feud is going to be awesome. I mean, these guys all knew this was their opportunity, and uh, man, they took full advantage of it, and they go hard. I mean, I'd forgotten that Todd diving off that cage like that had happened this early in the thing. I thought that had probably happened on one of the big shows, but here we are in this, you know, contenders match just trying to get to the big show, and they're breaking out this big stuff. So, yeah, I mean, and as far as double countouts go, that was about as believable a double countout out as you'd see with all four guys laid out on the floor oh yeah i mean and again we got knows we've talked about it on this show many times dan but you watch these matches like holy shit look at these guys work and they're doing stuff that teams don't do today i mean yeah young wrestlers go back and watch these these guys and watch these matches man you can learn a lot especially tag teams oh yeah Hey, they were like way ahead of their time on double team moves and just tag team stuff. Some fundamentals that didn't look super crisp, you know, some sloppy punches and other things. But like, man, totally, uh, you know, totally doesn't matter in the context of all the other crazy shit they were doing. And, you know, that finish, the crowd wasn't happy with it, quote unquote. They were, you know, chanting, let them fight and kind of chanting bullshit that they countered it. But it didn't make them want to see a rematch any less. In fact, it made them want to see it more, which was the point. It's their first match, their first you know, big match against each other. Absolutely, yes. All right, and now we have our main event, AJ Styles and Dominic Rob Williams against Adam Jacobs and Justice, another one of their series of great matches. But with the help of Bailey and Jason Cross, it appeared that Styles and Williams would be a disadvantage to lose the match. However, momentum changed, and the winning fall went through Dynamite Rob and AJ when a blinded Justice. Powder thrown by Cross, hit Justice by accident, was pinned by Dynamite Rob. After the match, Cross, Jacobs, Justin Bailey continued to assault both men until returning J.C. Daz made his way to ringside. The crowd went nuts. Boy, what a pop he got. He slid in the ring to make the save, but instead Justice held the chair to A.J.'s head and Daz slid in with a Dazinator. And the crowd went, what? Then injured Jimmy Ray ran out with his full cast on his left arm. He tried to help out. He got cut off by Daz, who went to work on his injured arm because, of course, they had been feuding months earlier. And then finally, returning Onyx made the save, and the heels retreated to the back. So, Dan, here we go. We got two big returns here. Daz, Onyx, we got Jimmy Ray coming out injured. I mean, the match was, was a hell of a match in its own right, but then you throw in this hot angle, it's like, wow, this is a fucking great ending to this show right here. What a great layered segment it was, too. And there's a piece of it that ends up making the intro, and it just kind of marvels. 
yelled at me like how much we had going on that was so cool that it made for basically two segments of the intro in one one is where daz has rave locked in that rings of saturn type move and he's there screaming and then the camera pans right up as onyx hits the ring and jacobs charges him and onyx hits him with the spin Duty. So it's a little bit of that, and it's hard to pull that off well. So that's some of the stuff that I'm super proud of. The, you know, that as as a team, like whoever was put that together, Jeff or Bill or the guys in the match, but like the layered fucking run-ins that we would do that actually made sense and elevated the situation. Always were were super impressive. Jeff, you're here. I mean, you're part. You're at ringside through all this, and I mean, talk to me about this segment. Whose idea was it to have the, the returns here and have all this play out this way and your thoughts on the execution? Well, I mean, I think this is really Bill with, with Steve being out, you know, Bill starting to take over and, you know, be the guy handing out the formats and, and, you know, running the meeting and all that. And uh, a lot, we, we did a lot of these, you know, I mean, it's, it's all ECW influence, these multi-layered run-ins. I mean, they really perfected that. And, uh, and I think we really tried to, to milk that tea a good bit. And this is one of those ones that just worked really well because you had the guys returning and, uh, you had Jimmy coming out, but, uh, Jesus Christ, man, Onyx with hair, holy <laughs> shit. He looked like an old man he you know, did. He and he looks like this badass. Dude, but when he had when he showed up with hair, I, I remember telling like, "Hey man, that shit's got to go." Like <laughs> that, that mustache and that hair, that shit's got to go. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, where had he been? Because he ain't been around. Uh, I mean, just one uh, one of those things, you know. Where I mean, it happened. Wild side happens a lot. If you notice on the show, we'll have guys who just disappear for a little while, and then they'll come back, and then disappear for a little while, and then they'll come back. It's like. I guess that's the world of independent wrestling, huh? I guess so. Especially in that era. But yeah, and Daz, of course, had been out too. And the Daz had been involved in that three-way feud over the junior title. And I mean, yeah, layers of story here. Just fantastic stuff. And this is it's a hot-ass fucking angle to end the uh, the show with. Absolutely. So everybody go check that out. All right, August 22nd, 2001. NBA Wild Slash, Mr. Delicious, J.C. North, traveled to NWA New England for a series of shows recently and won and lost the NWA New England TV title. Mr. Delicious will face Biggie Biggs at the NWA's 53rd anniversary show in Tampa for the NWA Virginia Heavyweight title. NWA Wild Slash Junior Champion Jimmy Ray will also be competing for the World Junior title of that show. Oh, we'll be talking about that show next time. Because that's a, there's a hell of a thing that take, takes place on that show, folks. Be ready for that one. Uh, when we convene again for that one. All right, August 31st, we have a results here for the show, and this is a Friday night show. And you'll get the gist here of what Friday nights were looking like. Goth and Crazy Train over Nemesis and S.J. Jackson. That's Shadow Jackson, correct? Wouldn't it be Shadow? Yes, okay. yes, okay. yes, it is. Oni over Rico Lewis and Jeremy V in a three-way dance. Cooter Calhoun over Sergeant Hardner by submission. Mike Pittman and Slim J over G-Rated. G-Rated got the pin after using a loaded cereal box supplied by their pops. But when a hammer fell out, Richard Thomas restarted the match. And Pittman and Slim J got the pinfall. A loaded cereal box. Fantastic. Fantastic. 
Lost Boys beat Future Shock. TNT over Mind and Matter. Dr. Heresy and Adam Booker. More on them in a minute. And then this match is interesting. Rhett Michaels and Chris Hamrick over Crew Jones and Rain Man. So, yeah, interesting little deal here on these Friday night shows. So, uh, a Lotus cereal box. All right, let's go to the uh, September 1st TV taping. Autos Fonts, Lodi and Chris Hamrick, the North Carolina All-Stars, over Mind and Matter and Crew Jones, Adam Booker and Dr. Heresy. Crew Jones making his Wild Side TV debut here. And Scott Hudson was in the house, as this is the second anniversary show. And uh, he was joining Steve Prezak on commentary. Fantastic. Yeah, he, he, for those of you that have never heard Scott and, and Steve together, whether it be Georgia All-Star Wrestling, uh, Point Counterpoint Global, you know, wherever else is working here. You know, Steve and Dan were a great team together, and they gelled well. Steve and Al Getz were a great team together and gelled well together. Steve and Scott, you know, friends forever. I mean, it's like, you know, brothers. They're announcing it. Just fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Harris and Booker were in New England based guys. Hammer had been well outside a long while. Lodi made his TV debut here. Hammer looked amazing with his own version of Van Terminator bringing the house down. I posted this clip the other day on Twitter. And uh, go back and watch that. And Adam Booker actually uh, saw it and said he still feels that to this day. Uh, it's insane. I mean, basically, Adam Booker oh is standing God. on the floor holding his steel chair at the ring, edge of the ring on the floor. And Hamrick jumps across the ring to hit the drop kick the chair to his face while he's standing on the floor. Insane. Schwanz looked good as, as I'd seen him here. And uh, makes you think, why the hell they didn't, that guy didn't make it big of the business? Yes, I, gr- I don't know. Five match, Carolina boys look really good. Yeah, I mean, this was a really fun segment here, Dan. Um, North Carolina guys look good. Uh, great to see Crew Jones here for the first time. But yeah, that Vet Terminator, that's one of those things. Like, holy shit. You know, and Chris Hammerick. Yeah, that's about Otto Schwanz. You know, he could have made it bigger in the business. Yeah, Hamrick, one of the all-time lost workers, I think, in the business. One of the great bumpers ever, for Legend. sure. Like, Legend he here. would take some of the sickest fuck for no reason. It's like an enhancement <laughs> match on TV, you know, and it's like, oh, we're going to Irish whip him, and he's just going to take that butt right through the middle rope, splat on the fucking floor. Like, he was nuts, man. Uh, a truly underrated talent of his era. I think, you know, it's just because he, he just kind of looked like a traditional, like, southern indie worker uh, that I don't know that he got quite the the credit that he deserved for being such a fucking maniac. But that was a fun match to open the anniversary show. It was the right amount of, like, no real storyline attachment, just some fun talent, uh, some dry, perfect use of the drive-in talent, I th- thought. Uh, it was a great way to kick things off. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, this definitely made television, absolutely. And uh, yeah, just just really fun stuff. Uh, Jeff, what were your thoughts of uh, seeing this, this again? Yeah, I mean, like Dan said, all these guys came together. I mean, it was just a mixed bag of guys, of drive-in guys, and we put together this six-man, and, you know, it it excelled. It it did better than it should. I mean, everybody seemed to be, uh, you know, at a high level and uh, turned out to be really good. I mean, watching it back, I mean, obviously I hadn't seen it in 
a decade plus, and I, I was definitely into the whole match. Oh, yeah. Really, really good stuff. All right, next we get AJ Styles' promo where he talks about Jason Cross is nothing but a ripoff, and he has some new moves to show off against Cross. This is from the TV. Uh, the one thing that I love about early AJ Styles' promos is, God, he sounds so Southern. <laughs> I mean, you, you you watch AJ now, and yeah, it's still there, but holy shit, Jeff. He, he is a definite son of the South here in this era. <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I Dan's giving him a catchphrase there that he's uh, starting to pop off at the end of these promos. Yes. You believe me? Just watch, or something like that. What is it, Dan? I'm sure you, you came up with it. It was, uh, don't believe me, watch me. And if I didn't, I think I helped him come up with it. I think that one actually might have been his idea. I, I kind of helped him craft it. But yeah, he sounds like this. You know, he sounds real Southern. <laughs> don't believe me watch me <laughs> just fantastic. it's just fantastic I mean you, you, it makes you want to root for him even more because he's so southern you know he sounds like this <laughs> god bless him he, yeah, he's great alright next we get Robbie Rage and uh, he beats Goff Rage is back for this show builds a new Japan superstar and he destroys poor Goff here boy did he <laughs> Yes, he did. So, uh, Robbie Rage making an appearance in the anniversary show. This is followed by a G-rated promo, and it's hilarious. Watching young Sal Renaro and Seth Delay running down the whole wild side roster. And don't forget, the G stands for good-looking. Th- these guys here, Dan, the promos that we see during these few weeks of television, talk about personality and getting their gimmick. Uh, these two, man, they were so good. Yeah, they really were. I, these promos and little vignettes we did with them to kind of establish them when they first started teaming really helped set them off. And these guys were so young. I think Seth was like 16 here, and Sal maybe had just turned 18 or maybe was not even 18. Uh, they were very, very young. So that was kind of the whole impetus of calling them G-rated is that they were, you know, literal children. Uh, <laughs> but to see where they they – ended up going into business. I mean, Sal's still doing a lot of great stuff today. Yeah. Seth is, you know, still works occasionally, but, you know, I think he's gone over into more non-wrestling things with his life these days, but uh, still ended up having a hell of a career himself. Um, But, you know, Kid Ecstasy and Kid Cool in their early days uh, ended up being Sal Renaro and Seth DeLay. Yeah. I I love them. And, uh, Jeff, they they were great as as the heels here. These you know this this type of character, kind of like a a in the a, a wild side version of Edge and Christian, so to speak. Would you would you agree with that? Of all the things we've come across so far, this one's been the most surprising to me. Of like, holy cow these these first G rated things are hilarious i mean they're really funny they're really charming they're charismatic and they're children yes i mean they're children and i remember thinking they're children what are we going to do with these guys and they showed so much personality and they could flat out go and go out there and have good matches it it really it's one of those things looking back on that i kind of marvel at like how young they were, and how good this early stuff was. It makes no sense for those guys to be that good this 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 early. It, it just makes no sense. 
But they were talented. God bless them. I mean, man. Just on the promo. And their ring work. I mean, we'll talk when they, more about their matches, too, as we go along. Ring work was there, too. I mean, they were right up there with all these other great tag teams. Just, yeah. God bless them. All right. J.C. Daz defeated Caprice Coleman and Dango Win in a three-way. Number contender match for Jimmy Ray's Wild Side Way title. Match is joining progress on TV. Yeah. I guess time constraints. As Coleman had Daz pinned before Havoc ran out, pulled him out of the ring, and they brawled to the back. They left Dango and Daz in the ring where Dango had Daz pinned until a masked man ran in to attack Dango and unmasked as Jeremy Lopez, fresh from his run in Osaka Pro. Daz had Dango ready to be put away with his reality check. And he finally gave up as Jetty Bailey was on the mic telling everyone why Daz was back and with the NWA Elite. Bailey uh, buried Rave on the mic heavily until Rave ran out with a steel chair clearing the ring that told Daz to be ready for September the 15th. So here you go. You got the uh, Dango, you know, he's in Azuma, and now we have Jeremy Lopez in. This fuels my fire here, Jeff, of my fantasy booking of having <laughs> Dango and Lance Dreamer teaming up and in Azuma and Jeremy Lopez teaming up. It's right there. It's in front of everyone's I, face. I see it. I, we did not <laughs> see it at the time. I'm sorry. To say. I wish we had. It would have been good. But, I mean, is, is time constraints the reason why, Dan, this was joint in progress? Or just because maybe the other part of the match was clunky? Or you have any memory or recollection of why it was like that? Yeah, this whole anniversary show was a clip show. So, like, there was very little that was shown in full because we had to... It was one of those things where we did a home video release of it, but it wasn't one of the four quarterly big shows. So we did feel like we were off obligated to show the major happenings but in uh-huh. doing so like it would have taken three or four tvs to show everything in full it was a really long show yeah. so it was just trimming stuff up to make it a clip show yeah the next tv tape in the 15th which talk about was three tv shows so we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that later but but yeah so it, and the next match was also joining progress although that may not be much of a complaint last beat at ferrara for almost last five minutes last this is everything you would expect it would be uh, Laz gave Ferrara a lap dance, which is great. Uh, Ferrara with his dreads and tights was something else. Will Barons ran out and clocked Ferrara with a tennis racket, allowing Laz's Britney Spear to win the match. And this FRR is forced to leave Wildside. Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, Bill coming out with a tennis racket that Cornette gave him, Dan. I mean, well, that's, a, that's a good payoff to that whole thing from uh, well over a year earlier. Yeah, Bill would always bust that tennis racket out occasionally. He would not consistently have it, but, you know, when he needed to make a point, the racket would come out for sure. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a little segment there, so there's that. All right, Adam Jacobs over Onyx. Wildside TV title match. Onyx's first match for the title since he left the NWA Elite. Ring Girl came to the ring and brought Jacobs some flowers from his secret admirer. With Bailey telling her that she could be in the back seat of his Cadillac with Jacobs. <laughs> Honest comes out and Jacobs talks about Honest being jobbed out on WWF television. And that after he finished him off, he would be laying the lumber. So there's that. Jacobs would slap Honest in the face for the match. And that was a bad idea as Honest came up firing away. Good little match with Honest taking punisher from both Jacobs and Jeff. But he kept fighting back, even kicking out of the Bulldog Jam. Honest women conspired to come back. Had Jacobs really even hitting the blackout TDT, but Bailey got on the apron to distract Thomas. Until Honest broke that up and got sprayed in the face with something. Jacobs rolled up Honest and got a fast count from Thomas to retain the title. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. 
Jeff, I think I kind of wanted more out of this. You know, being honest, getting the TV title shot, just coming back, and you know, I mean, it was really, it was good while it lasted, fun match and everything. But I just, I think I may have wanted more. What were your thoughts on how this played out? Well, um, we're going to be right back to it quick enough. I mean, we're we're just starting, Adam and onyx up here so i mean there's there's going to be more to this this was just kind of step one so i thought it was it was good for that i love the flowers thing and uh airing the flowers up and all that i thought that was really funny um this this whole secret admirer thing you know is going to play out through this whole thing with onyx and everything it gets paid off on a a big show and a match with onyx eventually so uh it's all coming together here Yes, all playing out. All right, uh, next we get Rick Michaels and his mystery partner against the new Bad Attitude, David Young and Terry Knight. Story here is that Michaels will have his mystery partner go against them, and after the match, which was ruled no contest, which was basically what we see, no match, uh, Michaels declared he was going to retire. And then he turned on Scott and ran and destroyed him. Dan Wilson was very angry talking about this, saying that Michaels masturbated our emotions. That's one of your greatest lines you ever gave, Dan. Uh, <laughs> talk about how all this played out with uh, with Rick returning and turning heel here and rejoining with David and uh, Terry Knight. I I think Rick was probably booking a lot of this stuff, or at least you know had a hand in it because there, there was a lot of like. Back and forth. Now, we ultimately also had to factor in the fact that this was kind of the ending days of Steve here. So that was probably had a lot to do with it as well. But I think the the whole thing kind of starts getting on its feet here with this turn. And, of course, me trying to be the babyface announcer, certainly selling it um, and, and – light of later revelations maybe i should have choose a better choice of words but yeah. uh, regardless <laughs> i didn't a, even think uh, about that till you said it oh <laughs> oh boy <laughs> oh my goodness. however it was purely in the context of a wrestling angle here um so <laughs> oh my god oh um it is interesting, though, that we just had this two weeks after we had the David Young New Jack thing, where David Young paid New Jack off to destroy Rip Michaels. Jeff, I mean, that's kind of it, we, quality control here or something, you know? What are your thoughts on how on that? It's a fucking mess. I mean, <laughs> and like Dan said, I know this is Rick you know, telling his own stories and stuff. And we're, we're, we're right here at the end of Steve where he can still get away with that, I guess. But uh, yeah, this, this flip-flopping stuff really made no sense. Fortunately, going forward here, it does start to, to settle, which is good. And, and Rick and David and all that get into some stuff that actually makes sense. Yeah, and we'll have more of that as we go along. All right, um... Total Destruction and Tank defeated Rain Man, Havoc, and New Jack. What a fucking team. Total Destruction and Tank. Uh, Homicide wasn't able to compete, so New Jack took his place after the match had started out three on two. This is exactly what you want here, as this went all over the building, and dudes just beat the shit out of each other with weapons in their fist. Havoc had Rusty Rill be put to bed, but Caprice ran out and hit a big springboard dive on Havoc. Then Tank caught him with the F-bomb to win the match. 
usual suspects. That's the the group here with Tank and I mean not Tank with with uh, New Jack and Blackout and Havoc. Uh, he got the revenge afterwards. Says New Jack carved Tank up with a fork. Now it's noted here that the heat between New Jack and Total Destruction led to a brief fight between Rusty Riddle and New Jack just outside the locker room, as the AJ Styles Jason Cross match was in the ring. The fight was quickly broken up by other wrestlers security and no one was hurt. Oh man, Jeff. I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> this is quite the deal here. And this goes back to the whole thing where it's about total destruction. And, uh, New Jack's a guy you don't want to try none of that shit with, obviously. So we got what we got here. But what were your thoughts on, on watching this match again here? Now, the match was, was, was very exciting. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, this is a fight. And, and these guys always fought, you know, as, as you see on the thing. Um, I was at ringside, and I missed the actual fight outside, although I've heard many versions of it from many people, and I've always been disappointed I missed it. But I see now which match it was that was going on, and uh, I see why I missed it. But uh, And I guess Dan would have missed it as well doing commentary. But uh, apparently it had something to do with uh, Rusty talking after New Jack had talked or something. And, uh, boy, you know, if New Jack gets mad about something, there's, there's a chance there's going to be a fight. And, uh, you know, I remember the story of some of the guys. Like, I think Onyx was the one to jump in to break it up, and he's yelling at some of the other guys to help him break it up, and they're just standing there watching, like, I really don't think I want to get in the middle of that. <laughs> Do you blame him? I mean, Jesus Christ. Um, Dan, what did you know about the fight here with uh, New Jack and Rusty Riddle? About what Jeff knew, it, you know, I was – they're doing commentary, so I only heard secondhand stories, but I know that Blackout was out there for it, and Onyx was as well, and and just, you know, pretty much what Jeff said, that there weren't a lot of guys who were super eager to get in the middle of those two, uh, but apparently, you know, it was a pretty legit slugfest, from what I heard. I can believe it, yeah, and uh, old Tank uh, took one for the team here, uh, Dan, getting carved up with the fourth by New Jack. Oh, yeah. Jack always took a liking to Tank and always wanted to do stuff like that for him. So he was the natural uh, tribute to volunteer to take the <laughs> fork and bleed. That's, you know, right in his wheelhouse. Yes. Yes, he would. All right. So before the next match, match aired on TV, Jason and AJ, we got a subdued Jeff G. Bailey promo with Jason Cross about AJ Styles telling all the history of Styles and Cross, where Bailey talked about how Styles had no charisma or any real ability, and how he showed him the Cross videotapes, and that Styles ripped off everything from Jason. Jason sat there nodding his head in approval and smirking, as Jeff said that Cross would be anointed as the real franchise of Wildside. I thought this was one of your best promos, Jeff, because of that, because you were so fake and condescending and all this, and Jason just sitting there doing his little nodding and smirking. Really great. Yeah, I mean, Jason just has a heel face. I mean, he's <laughs> he always smirking. He's just, he's always smirking without even trying, you know. Even when he was supposed to be a baby face, he just had this condescending look on his face. So I, I thought he was great in that. And uh, it was just, I just had the idea of, we're just going to tell this story that that it's been Jason all along. And it's it's 
AJ is Jason's doppelganger, not the other way around. And uh, we just had a lot of fun with it. And those guys, you know, what they can do together, it just it gets better every time they're out there. And speaking of, Jason Cross, defeating uh, AJ Styles. Jason Cross comes, comes out with the Styles music and still dressed like 2000 AJ, which angers the crowd. Fantastic match. I mean, fantastic match. Both men showed up their great athleticism, having a great game, but can you top this? And there's some amazing action styles at the Styles Clash, but Bailey had Andrew Thomas distracted yet again. We've seen that multiple times on the show. And he couldn't make the count. After more great action with the crowd going nuts, Styles tried, Styles tried to go up top, but Andrew bumped into the ropes. Styles bounced off right into Cross's arms in a crazy-looking spot where Cross planted him with the Cross Clash to get the win. Holy shit, that was wild. The way AJ just bounced right into Jason's arms. But, man, just amazing. But, Dan, watching this fucking match, I mean, Jesus Christ. It's like it's like um, you're watching the mirror image here of these two guys going against each other. And, Jesus, it's just, no pun intended, phenomenal. Oh, it really was. I mean, I don't think, I, I know I had been in the business that long, but I've been a fan my whole life up to that point, and I'd never seen anything like the shit they were doing, and I think Jeff agreed with that, and many others kind of in the same position were like, this is some, like, next in particular look like asshole in this match. <laughs> but well, Yeah, uh, well, you were calling him pretty much that on commentary. <laughs> but everything else, you know, looked great. And they, like, all of that stuff would tighten up. Like, this is their first encounter of many. And, you know, this is amazing stuff that they're doing right out of the gate. But it really only gets better from here. Because they both are very critical of their stuff. They push each other. And they all want everything to look great. And so this is just the start of something special and it's already super fucking special right out of the gate Jeff you're at ringside and you're supposed to be your character but I mean it's gotta be hard to be at ringside watching this match and not just like being a fan cheering on this shit's going on you know talk about being at ringside in, in that environment with, the, with these two doing what they were doing I think the great thing is we had had those two house show matches in Kingsport and Athens where they had just tore the house down together. So I already know, oh, my God, this match is going to murder. So I I don't have my jaw on the floor or anything because I'm fully expecting all these things they're doing at this point. But, uh, I mean... It's it's what I mean. I did this for twenty plus years, and uh, this Jason and AJ stuff that they did together is some of my favorite stuff that I got to be a part of. Because I mean, I've done stuff and seen a lot of guys doing the mirror spots, but I mean, these are mirror spots, not you know two guys trying to copy each other or something. I mean, these guys were remarkable as far as their uh, physical ability. It's like the wrestling version of Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow from G.I. Joe. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. I mean, just, just amazing. Yeah, if you haven't seen this match, go watch this match. IWTV, YouTube, it's on both. Go watch this match. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. All right, we followed up with Lost Boys and TNT. No more contender match for tag titles. These two teams have been as good as any team in the promotion in recent, recent recent weeks. Total car crash. Exactly what you want from these teams. The match is just high spot to high spot with lots of chairs used and dudes flying in and out of the ring. 
Both teams are doing stuff that you don't even see today. They're so ahead of their time. There was so much going on here, you just can't even describe everything. Lost Boys won this battle of attrition. It was just full-on insanity. And then Dan interviewed TNT as they were leaving the arena. They talked about how they had a lot of respect for the Lost Boys, but they've lost it now, and now it's personal. And as they were walking away, the camera panned up, and the Lost Boys were on the roof watching everything play out. Great stuff there. Jeff, going to you first. I mean, you just had this J- uh, Jason Cross AJ Styles match. Tore the house down. Then you follow it up with this, and they <laughs> they tear the house down. They tear it, they rebuild it, and tear it back down again. I mean, god damn, this was crazy. <laughs> we still got a main event after this. I know. Those two matches weren't even the main event. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, the, I, I love the stuff as we're starting to shoot the stuff outside the building with the Lost Boys up on the roof watching TNT and then we get that great one from the Lost Boys with the uh, eyes wide shut piano music where they've painted TNT on the wall with their blood and stuff so I mean we're really starting to make these things mean a lot more outside of the ring as well as inside the ring but God that, that match Jesus Christ I mean Dan as an announcer I mean, good Lord, you just called Jason AJ, and now you're calling this. I mean, you got to be like you're on drugs. You know, you're, you're you're getting a high from watching all this amazing wrestling. I mean, I probably was otherwise. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it, it absolutely was like one of those moments that you live for as an announcer is to get to call wrestling that good. And, and like just that stuff that keeps topping itself one after the next. It's like, it's a challenge. It's a trial by fire in a lot of ways. Cause like you gotta save something, but at some point, like the action is so fast and furious and there's so much going on, you know, you, you kind of will blow your, your wad, so to speak a little early, if you're not careful as an announcer in those situations. So yeah, just good God. Yeah. All right. And, um, we have the main event. Yes. Diamond by Rod Williams and Justice. Mentioned everything going on here. It's Williams attack Bailey. Andrew Thomas screwed Williams up a pinfall, shooting him a bird, and he got bumped. Speedy Nelson ran out, counted a very close near fall, and like Dynamite Rob had Justice's number, but he appeared to injure his knee, hitting a tope suicide on Justice on the floor. AJ, Jimmy Ray, Bill Barons, and Scotty Wren all came to the ringside to assist Dynamite Rob. Justice got on the mic and talked a lot of shit. He called out and all those guys. He beat all their asses and all this stuff. And there's nobody left in the promotion to face him. He's cleaned it out. And Justice told his Scotty to get in the ring. And uh, TikTok and all that stuff. And Scotty accepted. Scotty comes in. They have a quick exchange. Scotty hits the psycho Scotty slam. Pins Justice wins the championship. A shock ending. Shock ending, Dan, to this thing. I mean, who would have thought this was coming? So, first off, was Dynamite Rob's injury legit? And second off, um, whose call was it to put the belt on Scotty? He was legit leaving the promotion. I can't remember if it was due to injury or some other personal reasons, but he was definitely on the way out. Um, So that's why we did the angle. And the thing with Scotty was pretty much a, like a kind of a spur of the moment thing. If I recall, I actually think Rob might've been slated to win the belt. Do you remember any of that, Jeff? 
I am not 100% sure about that. I believe Rob was on his way out for some reason that he was not going to be able to come back. So we wanted to give him an out. Um, the Scotty thing, I think maybe they just wanted to have a really hot ending because we weren't sure how much we were going to have justice in with Rob out because they rode together. I think that was part of the situation. And justice was saying, I'll, I'll try and be there as much as I can, but without Rob, it's going to be harder. And uh, that's probably why we got the belt off of him at that point too. Which is interesting because it seemed like the title change was very abrupt. And all of a sudden, I mean, I mean, it is what it is. You know, um, you have to do what you got to do. But Justice was really doing good as champion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we didn't take it off of him yeah. for any other reason other than he couldn't be there regularly. Yeah. So, and that's a shock ending. So, uh, Scotty getting the belt. Nobody saw that coming. So, there you go. All right, Stone Mountain. Yeah, Stone Mountain was at the show. So was Lance Dreamer, but did not work. So you had Stone Mountain there, but not working. That's interesting. Uh, injury report from the show. Azrael suffered a bruised hip from hitting a guardrail. Crew Jones received a deep split lip due to a super kick. New Jack got a deep cut in his left arm and hit a small vein. and was bleeding heavily until medical attention. So that dude had that injury and was still brawling with Rusty Riddle in the locker room. <laughs> Tough motherfucker. Then we talk about the TV tape on the 15th, which we get into, the Globe Theater show, and... Former World Tag Team Champions Joy Matthews and Christian York are scheduled to appear at the Wildside TV table on October the 6th. So we'll have more on that on the next show. All right, let's go to the torch. The September 4th uh, cover issue. According to observers at the recent Wildside NBA, NBA Wildside event, which we just talked about, former uh, WCW television writer Ed Ferraro lost 50 pounds his last year on WCW television. And a strange note, Ferraro, who's in mid-40s, is now sporting dreadlocks. During his wild set appearance, he sat in the production meetings and pitched storyline ideas. According to those who work with Ferrara, he is a breeze to work with and is ego-free. You know, Wildside talent is not paid for working TV tapings. Wildside told Wildside promoter Bill Barons that he would like to appear at future Wildside shows. Well, is that true? Was Ed sitting in on the production meetings, Dan? Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, you know, he would just pitch some ideas and stuff here and there. He wasn't like a massive driver of anything, but, you know, he definitely tried to contribute a little bit when he was there. Yeah, and is that true, Jeff, that the TV tapings was a freebie? For some people. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Some people, I'm sure there probably was. <laughs> It's about Scott Hudson appearing at the taping, reunite with, with, with Steve Prezas. We had that. Uh, and then there's this. Wildside TV champion Adam Jacobs and Chris Nelson of the New Heavenly Bodies have appeared on recent episodes of Jerry Springer's show. Jacobs has a recurring role as a man who is in love with a midget prostitute. In the Otter storyline, Nelson has a recurring role as a human who thinks he's a dog. Viewers report that Nelson appears on the show wearing a collar and sits on all fours throughout his segments. Jeff, what did you think about the, about these guys doing these bookings? Um, I didn't know about the uh, Heavenly Bodies guy one, but, uh, you know, you can hear the crowd chanting, Adam loves midgets <laughs> before the Onyx match. So that they had all seen it because, of course, everybody watched Jerry Springer at this time. And uh, Onyx runs, I mean, Adam runs down Onyx for losing in that 
dark squash in Atlanta, you know, and Onyx has the class not to throw back the midget thing at Adam's face, but I think it's probably because he didn't know about it. But the crowd was certainly chanting, Adam loves midgets. Which is interesting because you're doing this storyline where a secret admirer. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's on Springer loving midget prostitutes. <laughs> Adam loved a lot of women. What hey, did he say? Hey. He was a ladies' man. Big or tall, short or small, eight to eighty, huh? <laughs> Maybe not eight. Maybe eighteen. That was him. Eighteen to eighty. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that eight might be a little problematic. <laughs> yeah, so it's that eighteen to eighty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, September so night. Uh, two TV change reminders. WYLE TV twenty six in Florence Huntsville Market, Alabama. They got Wild Side at ten p.m. on Saturdays. WPSJ, TB8 in Hamilton, New Jersey, outside Philadelphia. They got Wild Side on Sundays at 11. WGGTW, TB48, Philadelphia, has Wild Side Monday nights and midnight. That was a uh, a big popular deal. Absolutely. Uh, if a lot of people watch anime Wild Side that way. Yes. KTUD, TB25 in Las Vegas, scheduled Wild Side at 5 p.m. local time. And uh, had the Cap County thing, so yeah, more TV clearances. So yeah, Wildside's getting out there. We have. I was recognized in Las Vegas during this time period, so wow. that was super cool. Like, holy shit! It's like, oh, I watch Wildside. Like, yeah. <laughs> awesome. They have ratings in here. We have the dominant dozen. Steve Carino is the world heavyweight champion. We have Tank at number 12, Dango Win at 11, Laz at 10, Auto Response at 9th, Onyx at 8th, Terry Knight at 7th, Jason Cross at 6th, New Jack 5th, David Young 4th, AJ Styles 3rd, Adam Jacobs 2nd, Scotty Wren number 1. And uh, it says Rick Michaels is not ranked due to his retirement from Wildside as an active wrestler, and Rob Williams and Justin not ranked as they're both taking time off from Wildside, so there's that. Meanwhile, we have the dominant dozen tag teams. Yes, that shows you how deep this place is. Twelve tag teams. Holy shit! Heavenly Bodies is tag champions. We have Mike Pittman and Slim J at twelve. G rated at eleven. The Redneck Express above G rated. Tenth. Uh, Caprice Coleman and Sweet Dreams ninth. Project Mayhem eighth. TNT seventh. Lost Boys sixth. J- Jason Cross Adam Jacobs fifth. AJ and Onyx fourth. New Bed Attitude third. Total Destruction, second, and Blackout, your tag champions at number one. And the Coles are not ranked as both are also taking time off from Wildside. And we're not done. The Dominant Dozen Juniors. Lex Lovett as the junior champion. Number 12, Mr. Delicious, J.C. North. He's probably going to be pissed about that. Number 11, Mike Pittman. Number 10, Slim J. Number 9, Gabriel. Number 8, Lance Dreamer. Number 7, Inazuma. <laughs> Number six, Jeremy Lopez. Number five, Dango Win. Number four, Caprice Coleman. Number three, Laz. Number two, JC Daz. And number one, Jimmy Rave, the Wildside Junior Champion. Dan, who in the hell is making up these ratings? That would be Bill Barron. <laughs> <laughs> All of this has Bill's hallmark, including the typing style and the, the dominant dozen. Just sounds like something he came up with. <laughs> I believe that's a misspelling of dominant, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yes, it, it is. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, there's a lot of misspellings in some of these, but does this become like a point of conjecture among the, the boys? Does this ever get brought up about these, these ratings being put out there? 
I don't recall them even existing. Well, there you go. That shows you how much of an impact they made, Dan. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might have somebody that saw it and kind of grumbled, but, like, they were never out for any length of consistent time for them to matter. Like, we would always try to do rankings, and we'd do them for a few weeks, and then inevitably we would just slack off. So <laughs> yeah, it never really became much of a thing. Yeah. All right, September 10th, 2001, new Wildside TV updates. Uh, the Wildside in Florence and Huntsville is incorrectly reported Saturday at 10 p.m. It's actually Saturday at 6 p.m. Central Time. There you go. Better talk. In Dallas, KLT, KLDT 55 at Sundays at 10. Minneapolis, KESTC 245 Saturdays at 1 p.m. Louisville, WYCS TV 24 on Saturdays at 10 p.m. Pensacola, Wildside scene on WBQP TV 12 Saturdays at 9 p.m. Then we go to September 11, 2001. Jimmy Ray will be featured in upcoming issue of The Wrestler. Scheduled to be on newsstands on October 16th. The most recent issue of The Wrestler, former Wildside Tag Champion Romeo Bliss is interviewed. And since we've recorded our last show, um, Romeo Bliss has been in the news. Uh, he had a very serious battle with COVID. And uh, Dan, is there any update on how he's doing? Last I heard, he was out of the woods. Um, I don't know if he's out of the hospital yet, but he was taken off the ventilator and uh, was back to breathing on his own. Apparently, there was like a, a special machine they were able to get him when he was ventilated that helped him. Um, and uh, so, yeah, apparently he's doing a lot better, which I was really happy to hear. Yeah, yeah, because God knows we've uh, we talked about Romeo at length on this show and how great he was and uh, just being a good dude all together and. That COVID's a motherfucker, and I'm just glad that uh, everything seems to be okay on that front. Absolutely. All right, more TV updates. Whilst I will follow Inside the Square Circle in Montgomery County, Maryland, on Cable Channel 49, Sundays at 10.30. Dothan on WJJN TV 69, Saturdays at 9. Uh, Holly Springs, Mississippi, the Memphis Market, WBII TV 20 on Saturdays at 9. Brattleboro, Vermont, the Albany, New York market, WVBG TV 25, Saturdays at 10. Indianapolis on WDNI TV 65, Sundays at 4. In the Tri-Cities on uh, in Tennessee, Virginia, CYBWB, Charter and Channel 4, Saturdays at 12.30 in the morning. Then the Valdosta, Albany, I think, Columbus, Georgia, WCGT TV 16, 10 o'clock on Wednesdays. Jasmine, Mississippi, WBMS, 10, uh, Saturdays at 9. Rochester, WGT TV 40, Saturdays at 1 a.m. Hickory, North Carolina, WHKY TV 14 on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Um, yeah, I mean, this is Bill Barron's. And Bill's got that TV out there, man. And look at all these different places that Wildside is airing now. I mean, and, and what a perfect time, Jeff, for Wildside to be entering all these markets is when their TV is just amazing every week. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I've seen Brattleboro, Vermont. Um, we're we're not long away from a short-lived uh, New York TV station coming up that we get to make a big announcement about, but we're not there yet. So uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. But, of course, September 11, 2001. Um. It is a day that, that, that definitely will live on in infamy in many ways. Um, you know, I remember where I was at. I was at work uh, that morning when everything was going on. And uh, we were 
basically at that time, the radio station that we had playing over the loudspeakers was B98.5 out of Atlanta. I'm sure both of you guys know that station well. Um, and they you know, had their morning show going on, playing music and this, that, and the other. And I remember that all of a sudden the music stopped and it was just talking. And I'm like, what's going on? They haven't played any music for like the last 20, 30 minutes. And then information started trickling in about what had happened. It's like, holy shit. You know, that's insane. You know, all that stuff. And then you find out more and more day goes on. But um, what are your guys' memories of that? Uh, Jeff, I'll go to you first of that day. I was sitting in my bed watching the Today Show. I mean, it was on the screen. So I saw it happen live. And uh, I remember calling White Trash and going, cut your TV on, man. New York's under attack, I think. Because, I mean, the first plane had hit and they're talking all this stuff. But, I mean, you can see this. It's like that's not a small plane that's done that. So I was immediately like, something's up before the second plane even hit. And then when the second plane hit, you're just like, I mean, fuck, I still can't even believe it. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable that the world trade center, the twin towers were brought to the ground that day. I mean, it's, I I really shit, you know, it's, it's still hard to process that such a thing could happen. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, what were your memories of it? I was asleep on the couch at the Wildside office where I was living at the time as Bill's kind of right-hand man assistant that kind of ran the wrestling office. And he would come up to the office during the week. He had a separate house in Eatonton, Georgia, where he lived. The office was in Atlanta proper in an apartment building. And he would come during the week and work during the day there in the office. And so he was like, it was a day, you know, he was going to come up and work in the office and I'm asleep on the couch and he calls and wakes me up. <laughs> and it's like dragon wake up. We're being attacked. That was his first. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Who's being attacked? He's like, turn on the news. I'm like, okay. So I turn on the news and that is right after the first plane had hit. And so it was like just in time to see the second plane hit. And yeah, it was, uh, it's one of those moments that like I would, will never forget, especially if you live to see it. And I, you know, it's one of those moments that I think stole a lot more than our innocence as a society. Like I think the world has been considerably shittier pretty much. Oh God! Consistently yeah. since then. Yes. So you know, it just opened up this whole world of divisiveness, and like, I, I don't think that as a society we've been on the same page since then, and I don't know that we ever will be now no. because of all of the assholes that have manipulated shit in the wake of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's been a perfect storm of stuff happening since then. You know, of of the rise of the internet, social media, you know, and not to mention the other stuff that's happened around the world that God knows today with COVID and everything. I mean, yeah, it's the world pre the morning of September 11th and post is just a marked difference. And it's amazing to think about that. Yes, we are now in the full generation of people that was not alive when that happened. 
that's amazing to think about. So 20 years. I mean, we got a people that were born and never didn't experience it. We're either, you know, a baby or just never experienced it. That's just crazy to think about that. that we got a full generation of, of kids and young adults that didn't experience it. Wasn't old enough to know what was going on. That's just nuts. The thing about where we're at, but now that leads into the wrestling side of things. I mean, you're coming off this great show, an anniversary show. You got big things planned, uh, and you got your next show booked for the 15th of September. So that next Saturday night, because September 11th is on Tuesday. So in the office, Dan, you and Bill and everything, what is the mindset? You're like, oh, shit. I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, what are you thinking? Because, I mean, people, people that don't remember this, too young, weren't alive, it was a state of chaos in this country nobody knew what was coming nobody what's going to happen next there was you know confusion or, or who's going to get attacked and this and the other what was the thoughts in the office office at the time about this next show coming up well it was certainly a, you know a possibility that it could get canceled uh we we definitely mulled that around i think uh you know it was wwf choosing to go on and we were like okay well they're gonna go on so we are too and bill was just very much of the mindset that uh you know that we the people needed a distraction so that we were gonna give them that it was kind of a show must go on mentality yeah and uh yeah jeff i mean yeah smackdown Death took place, but the one, the big one that you know doesn't get talked about, man, because it's an indie show, was fucking uh, USA Pro in New York ran a show on the fifteenth in New York. You know that mm. that Saturday night, and uh, you know that was uh, Frank Goodman put that show on, and you know that that was risky because I mean, again, New York was was you know at the time it's so much uncertainty about what was going on, but. They put the show on. They ran a schedule. They had their house in the in the building, and it seemed like. And the way they played it up, this was you know, therapeutic for all those people, all the shit that they went through during that week, all the emotions, all the sorrow, all the pain. I think it was USA Pro. It was one show. It may have been um, ICW, one of the shows, but one of the New York groups. But they run that show, and it's just like. You know, that sense of normalcy, yes, we can still do things again. Is that, is that the thoughts that, that, that you guys as a talent and everybody had going in doing this show is we can't let this tragedy make us quit living our lives. We got to keep going. Is that the thought process that was going on? Uh, that was my thought process, certainly. I mean, uh, to talk about what had happened, but really, I mean, even by days later, I mean, I don't know. It felt like it was over and that, that we were already restarting. I don't know how much longer it took for a uh, baseball to come back to New York, the Yankees. And I remember Saturday night live coming back and all that stuff. But, uh, I don't know. It just, it was like 10 days or something like that. If I remember it was the, the Braves Mets game was the first one in uh, September 21st. So 10 days. That okay. was the first game in uh, New York after it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember what a big deal that was. NF you know? NFL came back the Sunday after. So that would have been 
Uh, they came back on the 25th. Yeah, 25th. No, the 23rd. College football came back earlier. They played the Thursday night after that. Uh, so that would have been the 20th, I think. Yeah, the 20th of uh, the September. So, yeah. I mean, I don't see any upside to shutting stuff down and acting like the world is ended. I mean, I I, I don't see. Well, where the, that's... The, the, the thought process was where we can't get a group of people together in this one major setting, like a football stadium. You know, that's the the fear. You know, of, of what was going on. It was what's what's next. You know, who's who's to say that this thing going to happen again? But you you got to get over that fear. You got to get over it, and you got to put your trust in you know at that time, you know security, and you know the hope the government can make can nip stuff in the bud and everything, and we won't have this again. So yeah, you got to move on. You can't just you can't live in fear throughout the rest of your life of of something like that, of an attack like that, you know, happening again. So. Yeah, I mean it was it was it was trying times, and God knows the rumors and everything. I remember that the rest of Atlanta was about to get attacked and all this other stuff. I mean, there was a lot of shit going on, and it was uh, uncertain times. Absolutely. All right. So it's September the fifteenth, wild side at the arena, TV taping. Kevin Harden beat J- Jeremy V in a match that was not televised. Then we have G rated Kid XC and Kid Cool against Mike Pittman and Slim J. G-rated coming out to the right stuff by New Kids on the Block and wearing their shades is such a great entrance. And, of course, Slim J comes out to the real Slim Shady. Classic. Fun match. All these guys were young, highly athletic, working to fast pace. And I got to call Kid Cool for his inverted uh, 450 splash. It missed, but goddamn, it was beautiful. Again, these guys, man, doing all kinds of crazy shit. That inverted 450 was my, that uh, set the leg, man. Good Lord. But, um... <laughs> Spectacular. Yeah. And Slim J, I mean, how long, Slim's what? Eight, he's like 18 at this point, isn't he? 18, 19? He's young as shit. Slim's like 16. Oh, so he's, he's 16. also like, yeah. yeah, he's, they're very young. And Pittman's a young guy. I mean, good God, these guys. I mean, as young as they were, just going out there and just having a fun as shit spot fest, you know? That's what they could do. Absolutely. And they did it very, very well. Absolutely. All right, Davey Young and Terry Knight went against TNT next. Join the progress on TV. It didn't let much was missed. Interesting matchup here to New Bad Attitude against TNT. This is a Styles Clash, no pun intended. As TNT have been mainly been in the spot fest of brawls lately, and New Bad Attitude works a different style, bringing old school psych- tag psychology to this. Rip Michaels on commentary for the match with Praise Act, and he's really good at putting over how New Bad Attitude is being the veterans. They're making the match go the way they want it, using their experience, control the hot shot youngsters. TNT was making their comeback, and they had the heels reeling them, when all of a sudden they caught a glimpse of the Lost Boys on the top of the entrance area, which allowed New Bad Attitude to get a cheap pinfall win. And, yeah, Jeff, I mean, it's good to have this situation like this, because, yeah, TNT had been in the, the, the blackout stuff and the Lost Boys stuff, and now they're facing this tag team that's totally different from anything that they've been doing lately. And I, I love when you have that type of uh, dynamic change here with, with teams like this. Yeah, I mean, you know, David and Terry are at least, you know, 10-plus-year veterans by this point, and Todd and Tony have just come out of Shawn Michaels' school, and, uh, you know, they're out there uh, learning on the job. 
And it's great to do that, Dan. I mean, you got to give these guys a variety of opponents to work against to get to make them better. You can't just keep young talent working with young talent all the time. They're not going to necessarily, you know, become complete performers. They need this this uh, change in styles in a match. Absolutely. I think it's great to be a, a fully well-rounded performer. There's certainly things that you're going to do well, and you should focus on those. Yep, absolutely. All right, Wildside Junior Way title match. Jimmy Rave defending against J.C. Daz. This is Rave's first TV match back since the injury. Bad blood between these two from months ago. And now Daz the heel has turned up to 100. Bailey would get involved as well as he had a super kick on Rave. Hey, you got your shot, your, your spot in, Jeff. Then Daz locked in a submission and wouldn't let go while Jeff kicked at Rave and Speedy Nelson declared a match. A double countout, no contest. Onyx ran the heels off before Rave gets injured any further. Yeah, Jeff, you got to hit your super kick. I know that excited you. I really love the, the heat spot where JC's got him in the thing and I'm just stomping on his arm while he's just airing it out the socket. I was when I watched it, I was like, that looks vicious. I mean, that is some some vicious heel trying to hurt this young little baby face. Really good stuff. And and Dan, it looked like JC, you know, he'd been gone and now back and he's in this heel persona. He he looked kind of reborn here, didn't he? Yeah, it was a, a good rebirth for him. He had a lot to offer as a singles competitor, and this is just the start of that. Yeah. All right, next we get Caprice Coleman and Jeremy Lopez. These two have had some good bad blood going back a while. Reuniting again here. This time, Caprice is the clear-cut babyface. Solid match. Caprice doing a fun job of selling a bump for Lopez. Dominated the match the last few minutes. When Caprice made his comeback, got the win with a big-time flying up off the top rope. Yeah, like I said, just a good, good match. All right, let's talk about the AJ Styles video here. And uh, this is the first time that you guys had done a music video of this type. And um, there's one on AJ and then the one on the Lost Boys, which Jeff mentioned earlier, of the uh, Eyes Wide Shut deal, where you got the piano music playing, the blow on the wall, all that stuff. So these music videos, we talked about them earlier in the show. Um Dan, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on how they played out? Do you think it added to everything, or do you think it could have been done better? Or what, what were your thoughts on the music videos? Oh, I mean, they were something that we'd never done before on Wildside, and I think they were supremely effective. The AJ one was actually created by Andrew with my help in the editing room. Uh, the song was Corrosion of Conformity's Albatross, because just because I had the CD laying around, so we just had to pick <laughs> something. Uh, but it was uh, it was actually done for AJ to send out to promoters as like a booking teaser to try to get dates. So we, it was twofold. We used it for a great highlight piece for the TV, but also AJ was able to take that on a VHS and copy it and send it off to promoters to get booked. Well, that's always good. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, here we go. So next we get Jeff G. Bailey coming out with Big Business Brown, who hasn't been on TV in years since he's with the USWA. Jeff came out the my way by Sid Vicious, not the wrestler from Sex Pistols, which is a great touch. Bailey talked about how he's a new owner of NWA Wildside with help from Big Business Brown and his Canadian investors. Bailey gloats about being the owner of the NWA can be proud of because he's not a, no a morbidly obese former used car salesman 
or a dirty ethnic who doesn't know a damn thing about wrestling. <laughs> dirty ethnic, huh? <laughs> uh, Bailey talks about how he acquitted murderers, child molesters, et al., so he knows how to deal with professional wrestlers. This is some of Jeff's best work, folks. He said he learned how, how to show kindness and professionalism towards pro wrestlers from Cowboy Bill Watts. He knows there are no sacrifices too great for this business. He learned that from Fritz Von Erich. And there's no one more important than the owner. And he learned that from Herb Abrams. <laughs> Bailey then talked about how Honest is on steroids, has been using steroids for years, and that he is starting his steroid policy tonight. Bailey then called up Nurse Nancy to the ring and demanded that she make sure that he doesn't switch to urine for his urine test, because if he did, he would have him arrested. Bailey said he can't be in ringside all the time anymore because he's in the elite, so he's enlisted Ed Ferrara as his creative genius. Ferrara talks about women in wrestling again. He said he was wrong, as women do have a place in wrestling, and he called up Persephone because he wants her to apologize so they can move on. He said he would allow her to kiss him on the cheek and to show her regrets. She tried to punch him, but he caught her arm. He pulled out her contract, saying that he owns her contract. He wants her to rethink her actions, as she must do everything he says, because he owns her, and if she doesn't, she will never wrestle again. She kissed him on the cheek. He said that he's had better, but he will work with her a lot, and she would get better. But she first has to kiss his foot, and she does that, then gets emotional overdoing it. Oh, shit, Jeff. Talk about the highs and lows of a segment. But let's talk about Big Business Brown. I mean, that's got to be Bill's, you know, thought about bringing him back in, isn't it? Um, I guess Biz had reached out to Bill or whatever. I guess they had known each other in USWA or something. And, um, you know, when Bill had asked me about it and, and, and asked about somebody coming in, I was obviously like, well, hell no, I don't want that at all. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, Biz showed up and I was like, oh, OK, this is going to be fine. I like him. So <laughs> it all worked out. But, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things that, you know, Bill kind of sprung on me. And then, uh, you know, started pitching the idea of the, uh, you know, he'll be your money mark and uh, all that stuff. And I. Uh, I said, cool. And then I just started putting all that stuff together, you know, of uh, why I would be successful as a wrestling promoter. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, I, I think that my favorite part of that whole thing is Prezak on commentary selling all your lines. <laughs> no, that was fantastic. I mean, what other television show are you going to hear stuff like that in wrestling? I mean, that's, that's so inside. Especially the Herb Abrams thing. It's so inside. It's just, it's classic. I mean, that is some classic shit. But FRR and Persephone, Jeff. I mean, oof. <laughs> talk, as Dan said earlier in the show, talk about things you couldn't do on TV today. Well, can't we talk about Onyx and his urine test? Yes, talk about Nurse Nancy, too. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I mean, because we just came up with that idea, too. You know, like, we're, I, I'm going to have a steroid policy to get rid of Onyx. You know, this is the <laughs> beginning of the Onyx problem and, and trying to, to start getting rid of Onyx and stuff. So, uh, yeah, the, I, I thought that was real fun, too. And, you know, uh, the nurse, you know, make sure that you watch him urinate into that cup and, and all that stuff. So I was real happy with that um i wish there had been a commercial break between my part <laughs> and ed's part you know, that would 
make me a lot happier instead of it all being one segment because you got this big high of of me doing all this great stuff and then you got ed degrading persephone and it's it's kind of like you can see me and biz kind of you know trying to keep these smiles on our face but it's like this is a little uncomfortable and it went too long and and it's going on for fucking ever i mean i was just like oh my god i cannot believe this is going on so long like that ed didn't know to, to trim it after I had talked, I mean, you know, you just, I'd been out there with Cornette and Bill for that segment and they had talked for about 15 minutes. So when it came to me, I talked like one because people <laughs> had already heard 15 minutes of talking. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Dan, uh, what were your thoughts on uh, this segment, how it all played out? Um, I thought, you know, agree with Jeff. I thought that his stuff was fucking five stars. Like, Especially the, the Fritz von Eric one was the one that popped me the most personally. <laughs> but uh, I thought, you know, his stuff as the heel owner with Big Biz and all of the inside baseball stuff that we were able to parlay into it making sense in the. Yeah, I mean, and and Steve, and this is the, I guess, the full confirmation of Steve being gone, isn't it, Jeff? It appears so. I didn't remember the exact timeline, but yeah, it would appear that we have seen the last of Steve for quite some time. I guess Bill has bought him out at this point, and uh, this is the direction we are headed in. Did you, uh, what were your thoughts on taking on this new role as the new heel owner? Um, I, uh, I don't know. I was I was kind of conflicted about it because, I mean, when he told me, I immediately came up with that promo, which I was really excited about, you know, the, 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 the reference the, the previous owners and stuff like that. But after that, I started to realize that I was also going to have to do a lot more stuff like when a team came in from the NWA, I'd have to introduce them out there and, and, and stuff like that where I was like, Jesus, I've got, what, four guys at this point? We've got JC, I got Jason, I got Adam, uh, uh, Terry, and David are hovering around. Um, I guess Justice is out now, but I mean, you know, it's a, it's a lot, and, and this was going to be more. But at the same time, I was, I was definitely excited to do it, and I thought, you know, I could pass some of it off to Big Biz as well. He was also, you know, one of them. He got that mic the first time out there, and he's like yelling at the crowd. And I'm like, "It's fucking TV. Quit that shit." You know, you can see me trying to kind of like, "Come on, man, get it, get it back on track." But as as we moved along, he realized, you know, fucking with the crowd and stuff like that. Save that shit for the house shows. You're doing TV. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 Biz is fun. Whatever happened to Biz? He's a, he's a big deal in the Microsoft world, and he travels all over the country and the world helping people deal with Microsoft stuff. Yeah, he's definitely Big Business Brown, absolutely. He was back at the reunion show, and uh, it was great to see him. He's looking good, doing well. That's great. All right, next we're going to match that doesn't make TV in a Zoom over Cooter Calhoun. <laughs> I wonder why. And then we have uh, Lance Streamer, Mr. Delicious, JC Knorr, former partners colliding here. 
Mr. Delicious attacked Lance before he could get in the ring. Mr. Delicious is taunting to the camera for hitting his iconoclasm was classic. Uh, fun little match with Dreamer winning and in Northern Lights to play instead of a swinging TDT attempt. Yeah, I mean, it's basically Lance beating his old partner and basically ending that whole thing. This is the blow-off of their team. And uh, so are you warning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the match was, was fine and all. I thought it was the... the it was just a little abrupt getting to it. I mean, we had Lance run him off out of the ring and then now they're wrestling each other with, I mean, I don't know. It just all went really fast. Yeah. Kind of. All right. Yeah. So, I don't think there just yeah, weren't no. any plans for a big feud with those no. two. So I guess our, our logic was, well, we kind of got to blow this off somehow, but you know, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> exactly. All right, we, next we get uh, Blackout and the Lost Boys. We get our bi-weekly Blackout Safalena Boys showdown as Blackout comes to the ring, and that was always fun. Match is joined in progress. These teams work well together. Luna's solid back and forth match before it breaks down. Blackout just speaks to piss out the Lost Boys with chairs for the DQ until Tank and White Trash run out to make the save in a wild brawl with Blackout. So, yeah, I mean, this is really good stuff here. All right, next we get the Wild Savoy title on the line. Scotty Wren uh, defending against David Young. This should be an interesting match. And it was a good match. Terry Knight would show up and got involved, but his interference to backfire. Wren would put Young away to retain his title. Knight then attacked Wren after the match, but Scotty made his own save and cleared the ring. Yeah, Dan, this was, I mean, it was, it was good, but it just kind of like felt, it was like in a vacuum compared to everything else that's going on in, in Wildside at this time to me. What are your thoughts? I would agree. I, I think the angle didn't quite fit in with the other stuff that was going on, was still kind of a, a holdover from the, the prior era of Wildside. Um, I don't think it was bad, necessarily. I just think it kind of didn't really fit in with what we were doing. And I guess, you know, Jeff, Rick, you know, is the key to the angle, and Rick's not out here, so it's like, it's not hitting on all cylinders, so to speak. I mean, the surprise of Scotty winning the title and this being his first defense and it being David, who's a quality opponent, and it being a big win, I, I see all the good of that. But, yeah, it, it all was just kind of flat. It didn't really have the sizzle that all these other things had going at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. All right, main event. AJ Styles and Alex against Adam Jacobs and J.C. Daz. Styles attacked Daz as soon as he walked out on the stage, and the brawls him on immediately. Then Onyx comes out, walking out, pressing Jacobs over his head in the crazy-looking scene. Yes, Onyx walks out from the curtain with eight, with Adam Jacobs pressed over his head. <laughs> That's how he walked out. This went all over the building, which is fine. Here, as we're under no DQ rules. Lots of great spots here, which was expected. Fans eating it up. Daz being involved in this view gives a different dynamic from Jason Cross and John Phoenix as Daz brings in more of the power game that counters of Onyx's power game. Styles brought the special intensity to this match. Boy, did he. He was throwing chairs. He suplexed Jacobs on the floor into the wall, which could have, I mean, that could have broke Jacobs' neck. That one suplex, he did it. He was highly motivated. Finish run was hot. Everyone's hitting big moves. Dudes are kicking out with Styles even hitting the Styles clash on Jacobs on a chair. Onyx speared the soul out of Daz at one point. And then Styles went on to dive on the floor, but big business threw his uh, briefcase to Daz or threw it at AJ's head, knocking him off the top rope. That was a cool-looking spot. Jacobs hit the Bulldog Jam. Showed up too long. Couldn't put Onyx away. And then Big Biz got involved again. Failed. 
Honest hit the blackout on the briefcase, put Jacobs away to win the match. Honest then laid Daz out with the blackout after the match for good measure. Hell of a damn match. And Jeff, you're not at ringside because you're the, the owner at this point, so Big Biz. Big Biz is uh, out there, but man, this was uh, this was great stuff. Yeah, that was Big Biz's first big uh, moment out there and stuff. And uh, I think that spot with Onyx hitting the blackout on the briefcase ends up in the intro of the show here coming up shortly. Where it's like, oh, that looks really good. Let's put that in the intro. And man, did y'all put Onyx over strong here, laying out uh, Daz and laying out Jacobs. I mean... Yeah, you're definitely getting getting him heated up here, Dan. Uh, what were your thoughts on how this played out? It was good. I thought it was a good opportunity to to give the baby faces a bit of comeuppance without blowing the whole thing off. You know, Onyx has been basically taking heat from the NWA elites since he turned on them and won that initial junior battle royal back in March. So I, I think, you know, to, to keep the hope alive with the people, you do have to let the baby faces get some small victories while you're telling these long, overarching stories. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and this is, the, this is kind of payback, absolutely, for all that shit Onyx took. All right, let's go to the September 22nd torch. Several independent shows took place as scheduled despite the attack on America on September 11th. Majority of shows that were canceled were scheduled to be held in armories, many of which ordered the cancellation due to military purposes. Well, that's understandable. Wildside was among the promotions that did run a show to schedule. Torch contacted Wildside promoter Bill Barons and asked him to explain his decision. Bill said NBA Wildside never considered canceling their September 14th and 15th shows at the arena in Cornelia. He wrote in a statement, Both nights we played the National Anthem, but had no speeches, no references to last week's tragedy. We put on shows, providing an escape from last week's harsh reality for our fans. On Saturday, our house exceeded the house for our second anniversary show. People showed up and wanted to be entertained, and that's what we did. We decided not to exacerbate the situation by canceling shows that people expected and wanted to attend, thus forcing even greater change in their lives. We're only victims when we act like victims, and the show must go on. I love a statement by Bill there, Dan. Got to give him that. Yeah, I I thought so. I mean, it, you know, pretty much just reinforces what we were saying earlier that, you know, he he just wanted to provide that distraction and uh, I thought he had a good response for them. Yeah, and and Jeff as a heel, you know, something like that happening. I mean, everybody you know, you, everything is up for grabs when it comes to getting heat, but at that situation at that time, I mean, that's that's one one of the all-time no-nos, wouldn't you think to to even try to use that for heat at that time? Um, I'm hoping I don't say something horrible coming up, honestly. <laughs> well, I'm talking about that no, I'm talking about that week in particular. Yes, I mean, obviously, I don't do it then. I'm just hoping yeah. I don't ever. I don't think <laughs> I do, but well, I it's mean, certainly beneath me. <laughs> well, later on, I mean, once time passes, <laughs> once time, yeah, once time passes, I mean, it's it gets you know, but that, like to try to use this heat like that week days later. I mean, that's kind of no, really reprehensible. I mean, you hitting know, low, hitting low. Yeah. I'm low brow, but I'm not classy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, uh, September 25th, Wrestling Observer. According to one story, promoter Greg Price attempted to book Steve Carino and Jerry Lawler for the NBA title on October 14th in Johnson City, Tennessee, on a non-NBA show. Carino was up for it, feeling Wrestling Lawler would be good for the title. 
Howard Brody was willing to sanction the match, provided the promotion paid Bill Barron's $100 fee, and announced that the match would be presented by NWA Wildside. Barron's organization, a request quickly denied. NWA President Howard Brody then issued a release claiming the story wasn't true, and they turned this over to the attorney, claiming not only the promoter had falsified documents and attributed libelous remarks to unknowing victims, but encouraged Tout to stay away from the promoter and said his ethics appear to be questionable at best. Dan, do you remember all this? I don't remember any of it, to be quite honest. I, I do remember that Bill and Greg Price never liked each other, and Greg always said nasty shit about Bill, and then Bill would in turn call him a fucking carny, and it was a, a constant thing. I never really had many dealings with Greg Price. I did work uh, when I was kind of Gypsy Joe's handler for a while for, like, his legends and convention appearances. We worked a, a convention for him in Atlanta, that was, uh, you know, it went without incident. He paid us what we agreed on, and you know, everything was good, like, with that. But, um, you know, I do see that he's kind of a shitster online, oh, so it's yes. not surprising that Bill didn't, li- didn't like him and they didn't get along. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Eh, it's independent wrestling. I mean, <laughs> you get you get stuff like this all the time. All right, we're going to close out the show with the Globe Theater in Atlanta, September 29th, front of 110 fans. As we have Crazy Train and Kuda Cajun over Golf and Johnny Psycho. Lex Lovett retained the junior weight title over Christopher Dreams. Is that Sweet Dreams? Or somebody else? I don't remember. That, uh, it was somebody else. Yeah, okay. Silky Boom Boom, it says working at Silky Boom Boom, over Jeremy Lopez. G-rated over Slim J and Mike Pittman. Three-way for the World Tag Titles. The New Evelyn Bodies defeated the Lost Boys at TNT. J.C. Daz uh, wins the Junior Evelyn title, beating Jimmy Rave. Blackout beats Project Mayhem. Lily beat Persephone. AJ Styles over Jason Cross. Adam Jacobs retained the TV title, beating Onyx. And in a three-way for the NWA Wild Heavyweight title. Interesting three-way here. Sky and Ren retained over the New Bad Attitude, Dave Young and Terry Knight. Uh, any memories of this show, uh, Jeff? That sticks out the, the Globe Theater debut. Um, well, I didn't know we did as well as 110. That's actually better <laughs> than I thought we had done. I mean, because we we had some Globe Theater shows that certainly did less than that. Um, Jesus Christ, 11 matches on a house show. That's insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many times we did the Globe, but we did it to diminishing returns, unfortunately. But, uh, this first one, I mean, 110, honestly, that's got to almost be considered a success. Yeah. So, you know, where some of the others wound up at. Yeah. Um, and it's running Atlanta, Dan, which, you know, you're, you're running Atlanta proper, running the globe, which is a, you know, a, a famous venue in Atlanta. So it was a, a, a big deal. What were your thoughts on the show? It was a... Hey. <laughs> Uh, I helped Bill with a lot of the promotion and everything. I and mean, he's probably got a lot more details once he listens to this. I'm sure I'll get the email where he follows up with some more stuff that I forgot. But I know it wasn't a great success overall. It was a, an attempt for Wildside to run the city. We went out and papered the city and stuff to see if, you know, the, the TV had any penetration in that market or would help or if there was any interest in Wildside. And it, it did not appear there was in the city that it would 
we were best suited to the rural areas of Georgia. Um, 110, like Jeff said, is, is a lot more than I thought we did, but, you know, in a 1500 capacity building, that's still looks fucking cavernous so um and i remember white trash broke a door which he he posted a a great piece of his memoir about the whole story about him breaking a door on that show and getting in big trouble with bill uh like a glass door like and it wasn't in a match he was just mad and went and punched through a glass door (laughs) i don't think this was the same show I think oh, it wasn't the first show that that happened. Okay, I, I no, didn't realize that. I think that was the same show that New Jack had beat the shit out of White Trash on. <laughs> yeah, we'll have more Globe Theater shows coming up uh, as we move along in the series. So yeah, probably took place in one of them. But there we go. August, September 2001, NWA Wildside. Quite the experience. So, uh... Guys, it's uh, great having you on again. Jeff, anything you want to put out there before we uh, close it out? Mm, no. I mean, if anyone from IWTV is listening, considering how much we put you guys over, maybe you could move the wild side box up a little higher. <laughs> I'm not even asking for one of the big boxes, but, you know, yeah, I have you to have scroll. to go after every episode and repeat the process and go all the way down to find the thing. I mean, maybe we could be over... Joe blows chainsaw wrestling or something. I mean, yeah, the brother up. We put y'all over all day, every day. Yeah, so it would be nicer to have to not to uh, scroll, hit the right arrow button on my Roku like forty five times. So yeah, yeah, that would be nicer. IWTV. I think they go in order of how it's updated. But I so I don't know because there's not been anything new been put up in a while. So that that could be part of that, but. Yes, but we do we do love IWTV, and we thank them definitely for having all that great stuff up there. So, yeah, props to them in that regard. But, yeah, help us out. Uh, Dan, you, of course, you're out there with Tank. Uh, what's going on? Where, where are you guys going to be at? Uh, this weekend, we're going to be in Fenton, Michigan, for the ICW No Holds Barred Deathmatch Circus with three big matches, two for ICW, one against uh, Justin Kyle, another against Hoodfoot in the pit, and then a big four-way dance for Ruthless Pro Wrestling that Saturday afternoon. Um, so we've got that coming up. We'll be back in Georgia October 23rd for Southern Violence Wrestling, uh, November 5th and 6th in Indianapolis, Indiana for IWA Mid-South, and November 7th in Williamstown, New Jersey for Bloodstorm Pro Wrestling. You can follow me on Twitter at Rev Dan Wilson. You can even follow Tank at Tank underscore EST 1996. Uh, and, of course, all over social media. Also still doing the Seeking Human Victims Horror Movie Podcast with new episodes every Monday. You can follow us on Twitter at OG Scare. All right. Yes. All right. So uh, next time, we're de- we'll definitely do an October, November. We might sneak December in there, too. Let's see how all that plays out. But, yeah, we'll have Fright Night. So be ready for that. And... Uh, there's a great Fright Night video that debuts on the the first October TV show set to one of my favorite songs, Black Number One by Typo Negative. So we'll definitely talk about that on the, on the next show. But, uh, yeah, be ready for all that as we'll have some wild stuff to talk about indeed on the next show. All right. Thank both of you guys for being on. Awesome as always. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Baby